the bill so that you can uh, find out what is in it. What? If you like your doctor, you will be able to keep your doctor. What difference at this point does it make? make sense out of what's going on in the world today and come to the right place. Welcome to Southern Sense Talk Radio with your host, Annie, the Radio Chickie Bellis, and featuring Curtis C.S. Bennett and the most interesting guests that you'll find anywhere on Internet radio. And you can join the show and let your voice be heard by dialing 917 889 3675. So sit back, relax, and remember Southern Sense is common sense. to find chaos and plenty of empty shelves. So how do you avoid this? Well, it's simple. You use today to make a plan, to prepare for things that may happen. It's a hurricane, earthquake, blizzard, or even social unrest, especially in today's political environment. The practical place to start is by storing up food in your home. And I use my Patriot Supply for my food storage. If you don't have an emergency food supply, it's time to do so. Here's a great item that makes it really simple. A two-week food kit that comes in a rugged tote. And it's only $75 when you go to my special website, preparewithsouthernsense.com. Or call 888-441. Seven two nine zero. This food kit includes breakfast, lunch, and dinners that will last 25 years on your storage shelves. So order now and prepare yourself, and then rest easy. So it's very simple. Just call 888-441-7290 or go to preparewithsouthernsense.com. You know what? Let's make it even more simple than that. You're listening to my show, and it's called Southern Sense. You know you put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com, and click on the icon 
for my patriot food. All right, and welcome back to another adventure here on Southern Sands, live on Blog Talk Radio, SHR Media, the Lone Star Daily News, iTunes, YouTube, Stitchers, Spreaker, Blue, whatever. Just go to the name of the show. Put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com. I'm your hostess with the most, the radio chick, Annie, along with my clever and oh-so-erudite co-host, Curtis C.S. Bennett. Good afternoon, <laughs> Curtis. How are you today? I'm doing just fine. Oh, I, man. I do feel a little. I do feel a little cheated because I have still yet to find any Girl Scout cookies, and I don't know. I think time is running out. <laughs> <laughs> do they make Girl Scout cookies out of real Girl Scouts? <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh man! Really actually, actually, <laughs> uh, considering considering how much the uh, Girl Scouts are now involved in Planned Parenthood, this year I have walked past them and I have not purchased them. My money is not going to go to anything that funds and assists in Planned Parenthood. And that's unfortunate because at one point the Girl Scouts were a very admirable group to be part of. And they yeah. stood for you know, good American moral values. But when they start pushing Planned Parenthood on girls as young as four, five, six years old, and promoted in yeah. their jamborees and other events. I'm sorry. The Girl Scouts of America have lost any and all support from me. Yeah, oh, and Sasquatch mentions the very same thing. That, <laughs> yeah, Sasquatch in the chat room says the same thing, that he turned against the Girl yeah. Scouts when he found out that they donate to Planned Parenthood. Uh, if you read any of the articles, there was Team Vogue recently had a very large article uh, promoting the Girl Scouts' latest event, that included Planned Parenthood. It uh, had a lot of things about sexuality that, I'm sorry, mm. <laughs> that's between the parent and child to discuss. That is not something you should be taught in a school or the Girl mm. Scouts should be teaching. That is not, I'm sorry. You get into the sexuality of my kid, get your hands off of them. Everything you know, they touch, they corrupt, whether it's Girl Scouts, sports, you name it. The left yeah, corrupts. Exactly. The LGBT community, the pro-choice community, have corrupted a great large segment of our society, and that's unfortunate. <sighs> We've got ourselves a jam-packed show. want to welcome everyone. I, again, am not putting it up on YouTube. I'll put it up after the show because I'm still having a problem with YouTube and getting things to work out properly with that. Um, that said, uh, I am up on Facebook. want to welcome everyone that's over there in Facebook. Thumbs up to all of them, those that are listening here in our Blog Talk Radio chat room, um, and those that are listening in on the studio. Reminding those listening in the studio, unless you press 1 on your keypad, we're going to assume that you're listening in, and I hope you enjoy the show. Uh, our guests will be calling in at 3.30. Uh, we've got five great guests. I mean, we are packed today. We are up to the rafters. Kevin Presnick has a new book out about the Mueller report. And, Curtis, I, I, I sent you a little note about that. Uh, we're going to have a lot to talk to him about the Mueller report, followed yeah. by our friend, uh, Louisiana State Senator John Milkovich, whose book recently released was Robert Mueller, The Errant Boy for the New World Order, followed by Pete Lanteri. Uh, he is the editor of AmericanBorderMagazine.com, and we'll be talking to him about what's going on with the border. There's a lot that's going on with the border right now. Uh, change of heads with the uh, Department of Homeland Security and so much more. And then we're going to have come back to us uh, Bruce Hartman, uh, 
He has his book out, Jesus and Company. We're going to be talking to him about a lot of different things. And we're going to end the show with the founder of ActivistMommy.com, Elizabeth Johnston. So like I said, we got ourselves a jam, jam-packed show today. Whew, I don't even know if i got enough rep to finish the show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we do, though. <laughs> we have to. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, eventually we're going to be talking to you, Curtis, about your upcoming project because one of your books is going to be made into a documentary. That's true. So, Matter of fact, I get we're gonna to have meet to cut with, off. Um, I get to meet with um, K. Carl and Derek this weekend about that project. Mm-hmm. So I'll keep you. I'll keep you updated. Yeah, we're going to have not only an author as a co-host, but a, <laughs> someone that's a <laughs> filmmaker. So it's, it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, we'll set off a segment as you get closer to your project starting to get off the ground, and then we'll talk about that. That said, I want to remind everyone that listens to the show, we start off each and every show with a dedication to a fallen hero. And today's dedication is going to go out to Police Officer Natalie Becky Corona of the Davies Police Department in California. Her end of watch was Thursday, January 10th of this year. And this comes from various sources, one of them being the officer's Dan Memorial page, odmp.org. The other one is from the Sacramento Bee and also from ktla.com. It's been edited down to make it a little bit more uh, time-worthy. And it starts off, Police Officer Natalie Corona was shot and killed after responding to a report of a three-car vehicle crash near the intersection of 5th and D Streets on Thursday, January 10th, 2019. As Officer Corona was conducting an investigation at the collision scene, a person not involved in the crash to the scene on a bicycle. As Officer Corona spoke to one of the persons involved in the crash, the man then walked up to her and opened fire without warning, striking her. He shot her several more times after she fell to the ground before shooting randomly at others, bystanders, and vehicles. The subject fled to a nearby home as responding officers searched for him. He emerged from the home wearing body armor, yelled at the officers, and then re-entered the home. He committed suicide moments later. Officer Corona was transported to UC Davis Medical Center, where she died from her wounds. Officer Corona started her career with the Davis Police Department in 2016 as a part-time volunteer community service officer. In 2018, she attended the police academy, graduating in July of 2018. She completed her field training three weeks prior to the incident. She is survived by her parents. Her father had recently retired from the Calusa County Sheriff's Office. Natalie Corona wanted to be a cop for as long as anyone she knew can remember. Her family and a sense of duty drove her to put on the uniform. She was a high school homecoming queen, the daughter of a cop. When funding for her position with the Davis Police Department ran out, Corona took jobs at a fruit stand and as a waitress so she could afford to volunteer with the department. She had a ring 
black with blue center like the blue line, Tessa Corona, Natalie's cousin-in-law, said. She wore it on her ring finger because, quote, I'm married to the job, unquote, she would say. Lessa Gomez, Natalie's cousin by marriage, recently retired from the Davis Police Department. She had the heartbreaking task of calling the Corona family to tell them about the shooting. I called her dad first and said, did you hear what happened? Gomez said, her voice choked with emotion. He said he knew something had happened in Davis. And I said, there was a shooting and she was shot and he went silent. Corona was described by her family as very hardworking, humble, and driven in interviews with the Sacramento Bee. She cared about her family a lot, Tessa said, and never lost sight of her goal of becoming a police officer. Law enforcement runs in the Corona family. Her father, Marced, is a retired Calusa County Sheriff's deputy who served on the force for 28 years. Corona wanted to be just like him. She always wanted to follow in her dad's footsteps, Gomez said. She looked up to him. Corona started volunteering as a community service officer with the Davis Police Department straight out of high school and continued to work at the department even after funding for her position ran out, Tessa said. She worked full-time shifts at a local food stand and had another job as a waitress at the Calusa Casino while she was volunteering for the police department and going to school. She also recently moved back in with her family to save money and planned to finish her degree at California State University, Sacramento. She was so tired and exhausted, but she was dedicated, Tessa said. There's no way she was going to give up volunteering at Davis PD. I even told her she was crazy. There was nothing else she wanted to do. She was an amazing person, a very humble person, said Rosa Corona. Natalie's aunt. Corona grew up in a tight-knit family in the small Calusa County town of Arbuckle, surrounded by rice fields and almond orchards along Interstate 5, about 50 miles north of Sacramento in Northern California. On Sundays, if she wasn't working, Corona went to Catholic Mass with her family in the church where she was baptized. She went to the shooting range with her father on Sundays as well and practiced skeet trap shooting, and target practice with her pistol. She usually worked graveyard shifts at the police department, and when she finished her shift, she stayed up and go to her grandmother's house where there was always plenty of fresh-made tortillas in the morning, Gomez said. Corona loved home cooking, she added. She never turned down an invitation to a family gathering because being from a small town, family meant everything to her, Tessa said. She was crowned homecoming queen at Pierce High School. She played basketball and volleyball. Her dad was boxing coach, and Corona and her sister Jackie became avid boxers. She loved to take her three younger sisters to the movies, but because she was protective, she'd only take them to PG and G-rated films. She was a fiend for pasta and insisted on going to Olive Garden when she went out with friends. Her favorite color was blue, of course. Anything that had to do with being a cop, Tessa said. When we go out and she wanted to get dressed, everything had to be blue. When widely circulated since the news of her death broke, 
Natalie stands smiling in a blue floor-length dress, holding a blue line American flag symbolizing law enforcement solidarity. In the post, Corona wrote, she wanted the photo to serve as my gratitude for all those law enforcement men and women who have served, who are currently serving, and those who have died in the line of duty, protecting our liberties in this great country. While attending the Sacramento Police Academy in early 2018, Corona struggled with pain caused by shin splints. She suffered a small fracture in her shin after jumping over a wall during training. Though she was in pain, she kept training and graduated in July. Her parents pinned the badge on her uniform at her graduation ceremony. My husband said to her at Christmas, maybe you should get another job. That one is dangerous, said Rosa Corona. But Natalie said, I love my job. I am so happy. You can see the light in her eyes when she talked about being a cop, Gomez said. She wanted to help people. She loved people. Anything she did, she would make sure people had every resource available. It wasn't about driving a fast car or making an arrest. I saw the way she worked, and I could tell her she had a heart. I've never seen in a cop before. I knew she was going places. In Arbuckle, the flag in the town center was at half-staff. So was the one in front of the post office, which sits a few yards from a convenience store called Coronas. Many people in this town of 2,300 people had some connection to the fallen officer. Walking out of the post office, Rebecca Taylor, 55, said she lives next door to Corona's grandparents. We all had our tears this morning and last night, she said, after tapping her heart with her finger and pointing to the lowered flag. It hasn't stopped. Across the street, Susie McCullough recounted from the window of her front of her food truck, sauced, that Corona was just at her home having Christmas Eve dinner with McCullough's nieces, Morgan and Maria Diaz. The Diaz were at the hospital when Corona died, McCullough said. It's devastating, she said. The whole town is devastated. I don't think anybody slept last night. McCullough said she expects Arbuckle to be empty as residents head to a candlelight vigil in Davis honoring Corona. Everybody will be there, she said. You're dealing with a very small town, a very small, close family town, where everybody sticks together or is related to each other. Corona survived by her parents, Merced and Lupe, and her sisters, Jackie, Kathy, and Cindy. Today's show is dedicated to police officer Natalie Becky Corona. It is also dedicated to all the brave men and women that serve as first responders, be they law enforcement, firefighters, or emergency services. We also dedicate to the brave men and women that serve in our military from the birth of this nation through today and into its future. We dedicate to them this song, by Todd Allen Herndon. My name is America. May God bless each and every one of them.
in the grip of oppression I fought for my liberty I paid with the blood of my people Freedom has never been free Now my door's always open To dreamers and friends When I'm attacked I protect and My name is America. You can find it by going to ToddAllenShow.com. Check it out. You're here listening to Southern Sense here on Blog Talk Radio. <coughs> Excuse me. SHR Media, the Lone Star Daily News. <coughs> Excuse me. What a time to get a tickle in my throat. 
Uh, <laughs> must be pollen. <laughs> oh, man. I, I, just as I'm talking, I get this weirdest tickle. Mm. Thank heaven for earth water. <clears throat> man. Oh, by the way, yes, I am still drinking earth water. I'm still pumping the product. If you go to my webpage, Southern Sense, put a dash in the middle, check, click on the pure symbol on the uh, on the show page, and you can order earth water through there. <clears throat> Just key in the search bar earth water. I swear, I live by this stuff. <coughs> no, I am joking. <laughs> oh, good Lord. Oh. Well, hopefully in a few minutes, uh, Curtis, you'll have our friend Kevin Preslack uh, call in about his new book, The yeah. Mueller Report. I'm telling you, there's so calling, much huh? going on about this thing. Uh, I gather that you already reached him then. Yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you so much, like, like you said, about the Mueller case. It's just unending. The Democrats just won't let this go. Um, it's like a... a a fairy tale at first with them with Mueller, and now that it's turned into a nightmare, <laughs> they grab they're grabbing for anything to keep us um, alive. Mm. Well, well, you know, yesterday I was running back and forth. I had two different doctor appointments, and one was like about three towns over. It took me about forty five minutes to get there. And then I had to race back to make it in time for the other doctor appointment before he closed his office, and. Uh, Yesterday afternoon, someone sent me a link. There were these spontaneous protests, and I don't know if anyone um, noticed it. They had it up on Fox News. They were showing the protests down in Washington, D.C. It was all sponsored by, guess who? George Soros, moveon.org. These alleged spontaneous protests to have the full unredacted Mueller report released. And lo and behold, we've got a new congressman here in South Carolina, we call him Beer Can Joe, Joe Cunningham. And one of the locations I had to pass on my way home was Beer Can Joe's local office. And, of course, there were a bunch of people with their signs out there to release the unredacted Mueller report. A whole mess of them were handwritten, and there were some that were professionally printed. Now, so you know this is not a spontaneous you know, uh, protest. And yeah. I was going to stop because I had my uh, Make America Great Again cap on. And I was going to stop, but uh, there were cops directing traffic at this point. And they just kept on waving me through because I guess they didn't want me to stop and do a counter protest. And mm. besides, there was absolutely no place for me to park. <coughs> Excuse me, I still got that tickle. So I, I checked my newspaper today and there was not a single line in there about this protest over at Joe Cunningham's office. There was something on the local Fox station. Uh, they had a very short video. So obviously there was not much to this whole big protest. But uh, they had them out there and if you listen to some of the people they interviewed down in the D.C. protest, mm-hmm. you're... You you wonder why the country's in the state it's in? Because these people vote. If you listen to some of the crap that was coming out of their mouth, you know, it's like we want we want Congress, we want uh, uh, William Barr to obey the law and release the entire uh, report unredacted to the American people. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait. You want William Barr to obey the law, and you want the Mueller report lawfully release the American people. Well, in order for him to lawfully release it, he's got to redact 
secretive information in there to protect witnesses, to protect grand jury testimony. There are things in there that cannot be released to the public. They have to protect certain people's identities, and they have to protect you know, certain testimony. If there's other ongoing investigations, that information cannot be released to the public until the investigation is complete. So what do you want? You want William Barr to obey the law, or do you want the unredacted report released? You can't have both because one is not legal. So, as I was listening to these people, as they were talking to uh, the reporter in the protest, I'm going, and these people vote. That is scary. Bring on our guest, hey. our latest victim to Southern Sense, coming up in the bullpen, Kevin Preislack. I hope I pronounced your last name correctly, Kevin. How are you today? I'm good. How are you? Hello, Kevin. Oh, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm having a blast. Uh, be- Can you hear me? Because they were having these spontaneous. We got you. We were having these spontaneous protests across the nation um, yesterday to release the uh, Mueller report. And boy, did I have a blast. <laughs> they wouldn't let me stop my car uh, because um, I had my Make America Great Again hat on. And I don't think they appreciated that too much. <laughs> you think? <laughs> Probably not. Now, I'm looking at, oh, my goodness, all this work I did before the show to put your picture up on my broadcast did not work out. So, all right, I'm going to have to do that all over again. Anyway, you've got a new book out, which is dealing with the Mueller report. And I swear, it was a fascinating book. I had so much fun reading it. I mean, it must have taken me all week to wade through this tome of yours. Matter of fact, I have it uh, up on the shelf next to Michael J. Knowles' book, Reasons to Vote for Democrats. And your book is The Mueller Report, The Complete and Final Findings Against President Donald J. Trump. What made you write this book, Kevin? Well, I was getting a root canal. And as I was, I was watching the, all the TV <laughs> networks, and uh, I saw every every network was talking about how do we get our hands on the Mueller report? How do we get our hands on the Mueller report? So I was like, I'll just write it. And so that's what I did. Is I, I sat and I did, I mean, tens of hours of hundreds of hours of research on this uh, on this book, and I came out with what is going to be the definitive Robert Mueller um, investigative book. And, uh, well, you know, I, I love where you started off. I, I love where you start your book off, where you show the praise for Robert Mueller. And I had to crack up because you cite Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer. I have another name for him, which is not polite. I won't say it on air. Adam Shifty Schiff and Gerald Nadler. Uh, and I, I, I had a kick out of this because, you know, you've got two of them from California, two of them from New York. You're the largest Democratic base in the nation. And here they are, they're singing all these wonderful praises from Mueller. So what changed? Uh, no collusion, no obstruction. That's basically what changed is that they, <laughs> they found that the president's not a traitor. Now, you know, most normal right. people would think that that's a good thing, but no, nah, they, they, they really want our president to, you know, be a traitor. It's a shame for the country. And uh, by you it calling is. him Shifty is. Shift is a is a compliment because he's a lot worse than that. <laughs> well, Chuck Schumer has a uh, uh, there's a Jewish phrase I use in front of his name. 
It's not polite. Matter of fact, uh, I was still working in New York when he had gotten first elected, and uh, I wasn't the only one calling him that name, especially since I worked in a large Hasidic area. <laughs> Williamsburg? That phrase around left and right. Oh, in yeah. Williamsburg? Williamsburg, Bushwick. Yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I was um, in the Yeah, no, he's not there. a well liked guy over here. There's only one person in New York worse than him, and that's Gillibrand. So, uh, Kristen Gillibrand. Oh, uh, no, no, no. How about is. AOC? How about AOC? Yeah, yeah that's, that's, that's a good point. That's a very good point. I stand corrected. <laughs> I stand Just corrected. Thought it couldn't get any worse. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, don't no. Forget, don't forget Maxine, Maxine Waters. No, but she's from California. No, we're talking about New York. Yes. Oh, okay. New York. You're talking about you're talking about impeach forty five. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, no. That's only um, she knows. <laughs> um. So yeah. So the book is is well, very fun. Um. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Um. It took well, a long time it, it, to write it. Hmm? It took me a long time to read it too. <laughs> yeah, you know, true I mean, story. You're like uh, me. I, <laughs> True story, though. Uh, one of my listeners, when I had Michael J. Knowles on with his book, Reasons to Vote for Democrats, um, he, he I, I swear the two of you must be born from the same mold. Um, I had put one of, uh, one of them up for one of my listeners to win. You know, they had to enter into my web page to win a free copy of this book. And I mailed it out to him. And about two weeks afterwards, I sent a little message to him and said, well, how'd you enjoy the book? And he said, well, I started reading it, and I put put it down, and I haven't finished it yet. And I said, you really didn't open the book yet, did you? <laughs> That's when you know whether or not someone actually reads the book you send them or not. Yeah, you know, in, in football, right, um, when they go to the combine and they, they – they, uh, the coach – the coaches always put, like, a $20 bill somewhere in that playbook. And because they want to see who reads it and who doesn't. So occasionally some people be like, oh, thanks for the money, and they know that, that they've read it. But if they don't find that $20 bill, then they don't get drafted. So um, in this instance, that, that guy didn't deserve the book. That is a great book, by the way. <laughs> that is yes, a great it is. Book. And yours is right up there with it. And people can yeah, get the no. book now up on Amazon? Amazon.com. It's called, on Amazon.com, it's called The Fake Muller Report. And on Barnes and Noble, it's just called the Mueller Report. Barnes, I mean Amazon, was giving me a hard time, so uh, well, so we yeah, had to was, uh, change funny. the name. Well, it's funny because I had uh, uh, Louisiana Senator John Milkovich. As a matter of fact, he's going to follow you on the show, and he wrote the book Robert Mueller, the Errand Boy for the New World Order. And <laughs> I went and I was. Googling Robert Mueller, and I came across a listing up on Amazon. There was something like over two dozen books already in print in mid-March in reference to the Mueller report. And one of them had to deal with the uh, Washington Post. Another one had to deal with the New York Times with forwards written in it. And, you know, certain documents cited in the New York Post one. And I'm looking at these listings and saying, wait a minute. Barr hasn't even started to read the Mueller report, so how can you have the Mueller report already up on Amazon? 
whereas yours is the definitive answer to the Mueller report. Absolutely is. I mean, like I said, it it, it was it was really time consuming to write it. It was really fun to write it, but at the end of the day, you got exactly what Mueller got. Nothing. Full disclosure, the book's all blank. <laughs> Um, except for <laughs> except for certain things. Um, so, I mean, you know, the the thought behind it honestly was, uh, you know, a lot of people have been asking, you know, and, and it's a, you know, obviously it's a satire. So people have been asking, well, how, you know, how do you how do you get the report? And I said, well, you know, my my wife's um, sister is Adam Schiff's maid, and he literally left it by his toilet, <laughs> and she scooped it up for me. You know, and uh, I said, leave it to Adam Schiff to leave leave the Mueller report by his toilet with some Kleenex, and uh, because he was crying because there was nothing in it. That gentleman, <laughs> Adam Schiff, should be in jail. Um, in my opinion, the guy the, the guy is anti-American. Um, I've never seen any. First of all, doesn't he have like the scariest look to him you've ever seen out of anybody? He looks. He just like oh, looks man, he like. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he's just a creepy dude. Hey, man. And uh, yeah. say that again. Oh, struck. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's got he's got a weird look. Both of them. <laughs> yeah, it's unbelievable. I mean, well, he, it's unbelievable that he got Paige. <laughs> well, you know, struck is one of those guys, and and Schiffer, one of those guys that. When you send your son into the men's room, you better accompany him because you're afraid he's going to peek over or under the, the stall to take a look at your kid while he's doing his stuff. That's the look I see out of those two. That's what you would expect out of them. I'm sorry. I, I may be going over the top, but that, that's the creepiness. No, I, I get it. I get it. You think he's like Anthony Weiner. I get it. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, Adam Schiff literally is uh, – is what um, America doesn't stand for. He literally wants the president to fail. Um, he's going to investigate literally, um, you know, I don't know if Donald Trump gets pedicures, but if he did, you know, he's going to subpoena the, the pedicurist to find out, you know, if he uses nail polish or not. That's how, I mean, that's how in-depth these investigations are going. I mean, does anybody really, I mean, Donald Trump, what what a lot of people don't realize and, and, where Donald Trump's at, at fault in some of this stuff is in his business dealings, the reason why he makes so much money is because he licenses his name. So he doesn't own a lot of these buildings. So when they, you know, when they accuse him of like uh, inflating his net worth, he's not really inflating it because he's putting a value on his name because that's what he does is he's, he's a licensor. So he could say my name's worth four billion dollars. It might be. It might be worth seven billion. It might be worth two. It depends on what he wants to put a value on it at. And and so when they say he, you know, gives himself a higher net worth, it's because he can, because his name is worth a lot. Uh and it obviously it is because I mean it's on buildings, it's on hotels, it's on golf courses, it's on water bottles, ties. So I think that's what people don't understand is if he literally just said, you know what, I license my name and I make about $4 billion a year licensing my name, I think we'd all be having a different discussion here today. I think people actually think like he owns hundreds of buildings, which is kind of unique in a way, but he doesn't. And 
So when he says, I mean, Jared Kushner, I think, had the best line when he's like, they think we colluded with Russia. We couldn't even collude with North Carolina, our own offices there. Um, I mean, <laughs> there, there was there – was, anybody that thinks like the president was a Manchurian candidate is out to lunch. And anybody who doesn't – I mean, I want everybody to, to think about this in all honesty – Everybody has has seen Carter Page. Everybody knows who Carter Page is. Now, they got a FISA warrant on Carter Page. Now, Carter Page is more like Inspector Gadget than he is a, a Russian asset. So they got a, a warrant on Carter Page to essentially spy on the entire Trump campaign. Yet, people want to say that, that the Trump campaign colluded with Russia – well, the Hillary Clinton campaign really colluded with Russia, and nobody seems to care, which is, you know, the the most fascinating part about this entire thing is there's two sides to this story, and one of them is real collusion, and I'm not saying that as a conspiracy theorist, and the other one was made up collusion. So if you have 19 attorneys, 16 of whom absolutely hate the president of the United States, I mean hate with a passion, and they find nothing on him, then I promise you there's nothing on him. And that's why I wrote a book full of nothing. <laughs> well, it's funny because you mentioned the collusion. And collusion, by the way, is not a crime. Obstruction nope. of justice is, but they couldn't find anything in the report on that. Uh, but there is something that came out just recently in an article by Andrew West about John Podesta and his connected company, how he got $35 million from Russia raising new concerns of collusion. Now, you got to remember... Oh, you're talking John about Tony Podesta? Tony brother, Podesta? Uh, right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they were uh, major uh, holders in a Russian energy company. Uh, John Podesta went on to become the counselor to President Obama. He is the confidant to Hillary Clinton. He was behind the Steele dossier. Uh, he and his brother Tony have their fingers in just about everything. And there's still the questions about Pizzagate, whether or not there's anything behind that, too. So, you know, it, it, you want to talk about collusion, look at the other side of the aisle, guys. I think Tony Podesta should be very happy that um, that William Barr and Robert Mueller are doing a lot of redacting right now, because I think his name is in this uh, report, if I had to take a guess. I think he's involved in, I think uh, he's involved in the Gates and Manafort part. With the, uh, I think he was part. Wasn't he partners with Paul Manafort at some point? Tony Podesta. I think. I, I, I think, think there so. were business partners. I think so at one point. Yeah, I think Tony Podesta. The, the word on the street was that Tony Podesta got immunity to testify against Manafort in one of these, uh, in one of these cases. Um, but I, I think Tony Podesta. I don't think John is. I think Tony Podesta is in a lot of trouble. I think Andrew McCabe's in a lot of trouble. I think Comey's in a lot of trouble. And I think uh, if, if I was a betting man, I would say in the next year, probably in the next year, Adam Schiff's security clearance gets gets taken away, and not by the president. I think the intelligence community is going to swipe his security clearance. I think he I leaks. So. I really, really do hope so. I think he leaks like the toilet where I found his Mueller report. I want Hillary to be in trouble. Yeah, I'm trying to – I was trying to think of who, who said it yesterday. I, I heard someone talking about Adam Schiff and saying um, he's as, as leak-proof as a screen door on a submarine. 
Oh, Trey Gowdy. <laughs> I'm trying to remember who. Trey Gowdy. Oh, thank said you. It. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yes. Thank you. No, you, you cover yeah. just about everything in your book, and I'm telling people they've got to go onto uh, Amazon and pick it up. Uh, you cover everything from the Russian investigation uh, to his campaign ties to Russia. You talk about WikiLeaks. And you think about this, we still have the two ongoing investigations with Jerome Corsi and Roger Stone. Now, Jerome Corsi countersued them, so you don't hear anything anyone going after Jerome lately. They're still going hog wild over Roger Stone. You know, there's still stuff going on out there. Now, when I had Judge Janine Pirro on the show uh, about a month and a half ago, I asked her about the FISA award. I said, under the law, and this is what they taught me in the police academy, if you get tainted evidence and you obtain a warrant from that evidence, all that evidence you obtain in that warrant gets thrown out. It's fruit of the poisonous tree. The poisonous now, tree. all of this yeah. is based upon a FISA warrant from, from the very get-go. Everything took off the ground with this FISA warrant. The FISA warrant was tainted. So anything coming from it is fruit of the poisonous tree. But why isn't anyone countering suing the government saying, hey, it's an illegal warrant, so anything from this, you can't charge me. You've got nothing on me now. And challenge them So, So my understanding is that the government is immune from uh, – majority of the government is immune from prosecution. So it's very difficult to sue the government. I think the the person that's got the best case against the government, I don't think Dr. Corsi's case is going to go anywhere. I think the person that's got the best case against the government is Carter Page because his name was leaked from the intelligence community to the Washington Post. So that is that has caused him real harm. So he has a you know, there's there's piercing the corporate veil. You hear people say that all the time that in order to get to the CEO, this, you have to prove that the CEO did something really wrong. Well, in this case, somebody in the FBI did something really, really, really wrong by leaking an American citizen, a private American citizen's name to the Washington Post in regards to a FISA warrant. He has a great case against the U.S. government. Dr. Corsi, not so much. Um, but I think oh, Carter you, Page you is going to go about, a long way. You also think about the, the uh, indictment, uh, the actually the conviction against uh, General Flynn, the conviction against Papadopoulos. All these things can be overturned if they get a smart enough attorney and say, hey, listen, it's fruit of the poisonous tree. My client was wrongly convicted. I want the conviction thrown out and overturned. Yeah, I think I think our president's going to handle that for them. I think he's going to vacate. I think he's going to um, probably... pardon. Yeah. I think he's going to pardon uh, oh, Flynn, Flynn uh, Papadopoulos, and uh, Roger Stone, and Michael Cohen's going to have some fun in jail. Um, I hope unless, so. Unless, although I he really just asked, so. like everybody, although he just asked Congress to like write him a recommendation letter to get a reduced sentence. Can you believe the? I know you were talking. I'm Jewish too, so I know you were talking about the Jews. Can you believe the chutzpah on him? He he wants <laughs> he wants a reduced sentence. That's, See, that's unbelievable to me. Italian. I say cojones. <laughs> I oh, you say cojones? I say Solid grass. Yeah. Um, oh man, the book is the book. The book is absolutely fascinating. And I'm telling you, if you people, if you want to annoy your local liberal, buy the book and leave it on your coffee table. It'll make them flip out, <laughs> right? Oh, not only will they flip out, they'll never talk to you again. Uh, and there's a good chance that that is a good chance that they're gonna like the you know the the very 
paper-friendly liberals will recycle this paper quicker than anything you've ever seen in your life, or they'll throw it in their fireplace and just forget <laughs> about the whole recycling altogether. So it's a great oh, book. Oh, no, CO2 I mean, emissions. <laughs> what? Yeah, that's true. Global warming. CO2 emissions. Uh, um, yeah, no, it, it's a fun book that everybody should get. You can get it for Mother's Day, Father's Day. Uh, you just get it just for just to have it. Um, it's fun. It's different. It's, uh, I think the country needs a kind of book like this right now that's blank, and people could just literally just get on with their lives and forget about this whole uh, Russian collusion, delusion, whatever you want to call it. And, uh, you know, in, in all honesty, it's a satire, but at the point, it, it, it really does get to the point that America really is uh, is going through a rough time with the fact that you know, people are literally Rachel Maddow was was holding back tears on television because our president wasn't a traitor. When you have something like that, then your country is is really, really in trouble. Now, I'm going to give her the benefit of the doubt and say that she was crying because she knew her ratings were going to suffer. Uh, but she I mean, these, you know, your audience is going to leave if you're peddling a conspiracy theory for two years. And that's just what happened. Her audience, her entire audience left. I mean, they all went to, to, to Fox News. So just imagine, like, people from MSNBC leaving MSNBC and going to Fox News. That is just absolutely insane. But it's a fun book. People should read it um, if you want to read it. There's also an ebook version that's really, really short. Uh, like, much short. I mean, literally, you, you can get through that in, like, 25 seconds. Why don't you actually gift somebody the ebook? <laughs> Just gift somebody the ebook and send them, send it to them as a gift. And when they open it up, and they're going to be like, "Well, we're no pages." You'd be like, "Yeah, that's the point." Just have, just have fun well, with you it. Do, I, well, you do have certain data in there, so I got to be honest about that because the findings that you got from the Mueller report, this investigation took 675 days. This is this is on the taxpayer dime. Yeah, right now they're saying it was what twenty five point two million, but they think the final number is going to be about forty. So yeah, forty million dollars to try and figure out or whether or not your your president is a Russian spy. Now, <clears throat> I want everybody to realize how John Podesta's email was was hacked. First of all, his password was password. Second of all, he got an email that all of us get. He got an email that all of us got get saying, uh, "You forgot your Gmail password, or your Gmail password's been compromised. We need you to click here." He sends it to his IT guys. IT guys, oh, this is real. Instead, use this. Use this link. Podesta clicked on the wrong link, and he gave whoever was phishing, you know, his uh, his password. So that's how his emails got hacked in the first place. Was he literally got phished? And he gave his password to somebody, and his password was also password. So, I mean, what did he expect was going to happen? I'm not. I'm not saying that that it's right <laughs> that he got hacked by any means. But what I'm saying is, is like, dude, <laughs> come up with a better password than password. It's you know, and also you know, it, like, it, it, click on the right link for crying out loud. If you do all that business with Russia, you don't know how to click on a proper link? Well, not only what gets me is that they claim to be intellectually superior to us, 
morally and intellectually superior, and yet he falls for something as uh, as stupid as a phishing scam. You know, no, you're, I mean, it, you're right. It's one thing it's if you like don't. Grandma falls for stuff like that. You know, like your 80 year old grandmother falls for stuff like that. You know, um, not not a uh, you know not a campaign manager, but. You know, the, the the funniest thing out of the whole thing is you want to talk about incompetence is Strzok and Page are like texting back and forth, you know, and, and the guy is like number two in counterintelligence. He doesn't realize that somebody's reading his texts, which by far is the most illogical thing on the planet is that this guy in the FBI can't put two and two together that, you know, his texts are going to be read one day. And, you know, it's unbelievable. In fact, there was one text. <laughs> There was one text where Lisa Page goes, could anybody read this? Are our text secure? And he goes, oh, yes, they're secure. Yeah, I don't <laughs> think so. Well, I, I I don't know if you saw the YouTube video that uh, our friends of the show have put up. As a matter of fact, these are the producers of Gosnell movie, uh, Phil McAleer and his wife, Anne McAlerney. They took the text between Lisa Page and Peter Strzok, and they actually – filmed it with two actors texting and reading them as they're texting them. So it's like their voice is, you know, saying what the text is. And if it wasn't for the fact that this actually happened, it would have been comedic, but they actually took the text and then made it dialogue in this film with these two actors pretending to be Lisa Page and Peter Strzok. And if they, these two filmmakers could do that, what would make him think that his text was going to be secure? I think he was a moron. Um, I think he literally <laughs> was a oh, complete moron. <laughs> but, but I want you to also think about something. There was nothing funnier than, than when Daryl Issa made him read those texts on television <laughs> during his congressional <laughs> hearing. He made him read his own text. And that's, uh, you know, these... Um, you know, I felt bad for both of their spouses. Look, I feel bad for everybody in this mess. I mean, look, uh, none of this should ever have happened. It was a waste of taxpayer money. Everybody compares it to Benghazi. You know, the difference with Benghazi is people actually died. People lost their lives. So you can't, you know, you can't compare anything to, to loss of life. Um, and that that's a difference here. So when the Democrats go to Benghazi and trade Gowdy, people died there. Like that that's a real that's a real crime. And then they go to, you know, Donald Trump colluding with the there was no collusion. Come on. Do you think he'd be in the White House right now if he colluded with Russia? They would have dragged him out by his, you know, by his hair. If it's if it's his foot. They would have dragged him out by his hair. So, um I think the country really uh really needs to step back and, and think. I, I mean, you got a guy in counterintelligence, right? that doesn't realize his text messages are being read. You have um, the Gosnell producers, right, doing a, a reenactment of the text messages. You have Strzok doing the text messages. You got Carter. I mean, the, the, whole thing's a, the whole thing's a disaster. You got Leak and James Comey sending his friends letters to leak to the, the New York Times. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. This is like a really bad Tom Clancy novel. So, I mean. It is. It is. Because when you think about it, they hired 19 attorneys on this investigation. Oh, and by the way, no one mentions that not one of them was a Republican. They were all Democrats. I think it's a a little hint here. Well, one of them was uh, Hillary, the Hillary Clinton Foundation's lawyer, right? Jeannie Ray. 
Andrew Weissman went to uh, Andrew Weissman went to Hillary's uh, what was supposed to be her victory party. But the most amazing thing that not a lot of people talk about, which is mind-boggling to me, is Robert Mueller goes in for a job interview at the White House to be the next FBI director, replace James Comey, and Trump passes him, passes him over for Christopher Wray. So what happens two days later? Bob Mueller gets appointed special counsel. So Bob Mueller is investigating the guy that just turned him down for a job that he wanted. That doesn't seem very fair to me. Um, I know I'd be pissed if somebody didn't give me a job. And then uh, I got a chance to investigate him. And then you also got uh, you also got Rod Rosenstein. McCabe claims that after uh, after um, Comey got fired and they wanted to appoint a special counsel. McCabe claims that Rosenstein came to him to ask Comey for some names. So now you got the guy that got fired recommending the guy that should be, you know, investigating the the president. The whole thing is so bizarre. Um, it's kind of uh, it's kind of scary. I mean, I just want everybody to think about. You had a guy running. A, what was it? What did Hillary Clinton spend on her campaign? Like two billion dollars or something. So she oh, spent like two billion dollars. It was some crazy number. She, let's just say she spent a billion dollars, which is an insane number, too. Let's just say she spent a billion dollars, and the guy that was running her campaign, his password was password. That just sums everything up in this entire thing. His email password was password. So, I mean, my seven-year-old kid will tell you that, well, you can't use the word password as a password. The whole thing's crazy to me. <laughs> You know, um, you know twenty eight hundred subpoenas. Uh-huh. Twenty eight hundred subpoenas, five hundred search warrants. Um now this is something I never heard of and I had to do my research last night. I never heard of pen registers, fifty authorized orders for pen registers, which I found mm-hmm. out is a dialed number quarter. So, you know, hey, your phones are tapped, they know who you're calling. Yeah, so with that, they 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 can't listen in, but they could record your incoming and outgoing phone calls. Uh, yeah, so I mean everything say, in there is. You spoke to you spoke to Joe Blow on this time and date. What did your what was your conversation about? So you could then be being subpoenaed and have to testify. Absolutely, I mean that's a scam. The the whole thing with the. You know, the Carter Page FISA or any FISA warrant, 99.9% of FISA warrants are granted. That's just an astronomical number, so I'm not even sure these judges read it. So they go in there, they rubber stamp it, and then, you know, every 30 days. So now, you know, once again, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but Rod Rosenstein, I believe, in in his congressional testimony, he wouldn't confirm whether or not he actually read the FISA warrant. So, I mean, you sign your name saying, like, everything in here is true, but you haven't read it. It's kind of bizarre. I know I wouldn't sign anything saying it was true unless I read every word on the page. But I guess, you know, I don't believe Comey – I'm not even sure Comey knows how to read. But let's just say he does. Um, (laughs) You know, uh, I don't – I'm not a big fan of James Comey's. (laughs) Uh, <laughs> That's a whole other animal of a different color. Uh, listen, I don't know if you want to stick around because we have right now in on the phone with this uh, uh, Louisiana State Senator uh, John Malkovich, who wrote the book uh, 
uh, Robert Mueller, errand boy for the New World Order. Do you want to stick around with us, or do you need to run? Sure. Sure, I'll stick around for a couple more minutes. All right. Let's bring our next victim in out of the bullpen. And welcome aboard, John Milkovich. Good afternoon, John. How are you doing today? Good, Annie. How are you? And uh, you've you've got a All friend right. with you today. Your friend's name. Tell me your friend's name. Uh, Kevin Prislick. He's got a new book yet that you gotta pick up. You actually have to pick this up. It's called The okay. Mueller Report: Complete and Final Findings Against President Donald J. Trump. And I'll tell you, it's going to take you 28 seconds to read. Kevin, and how do you spell Kevin's last name? P-R-Y-S-L-A-K. Okay. Kevin Prislick? Yes, sir. Okay, Kevin. Congratulations. Oh, man. Thank you very much. He's got the... He's got the absolute answer to the findings in the Mueller report. And once you get the book, you'll understand what I'm talking about. And, of course, we've been telling our audience the pages are blank. He's got all the topics, and the pages are blank. Okay. No, nothing there. Sure. Oh, man. Sure. Uh, but, you know, I don't know if, if you saw this down in Louisiana, but we had it over here, our our. Congressman uh, Joe Birkin Cunningham uh, had a impromptu protest last night uh, with his liberal leaners um, all demanding the full release of the Mueller report. And, of course, I had to drive past that intersection in order to get home. And, of course, with my uh, Trump hat on, I was not really welcome. (laughs) So the cops kind of kept waving me through the intersection. But can you imagine that that the demanding a document to be released that they do not have the legal right to have released. Now you're an attorney. You know what goes in with grand jury testimony. You know what? You know I, I, I'm a citizen the, before I'm, a, I'm I'm an attorney, and we wrote the book about Robert Mueller, Annie, because we sense that Donald Trump is trying to do something in America. He actually believes in something. He actually loves our country. Um, and we wrote it because we felt like because he's doing something good, and Mueller and the others are after him there must be something bad about their agenda. So that's the foundation for what I'm going to say. I'm for releasing it. The president said release it. You know, and I, someone really smart that I talked to last night, a brilliant guy in, in uh, northwest Louisiana, he, he's a manual laborer, and I, I, he knows more about stuff that the deep state's up to than just about anybody on the face of the planet that I know. He said maybe, maybe uh, the attorney general doesn't want to, release it because it would show that Mueller broke the law a whole bunch of times in his investigation. He may be protecting Mueller. But but let's say this. Number one, they did not make the case against Donald Trump. Number two, Donald Trump saying, go ahead and release it. Number three, the House of Representatives, 420 to zero, said, let's release it. Uh, number four, we got nothing. As Melania once said, I don't have nothing to hide. By the way, that's an exact quote. I love Melania. You know, and he... So number one, I mean number five, the report clears us. Maybe that was number four. And number five, even if Mueller in there tries to stack some evidence or play some games with, well, maybe there's a little evidence here or there, it would be obliterated by being exposed to the antiseptic hygienic quality of sunlight. So I'm really not afraid of it, and and the president isn't. And it's either going to – totally exonerate him, like it says, or it's going to 85 to 90% exonerate him, and then the rest of it's going to be, you know, 
pablum and nonsense and and tomfoolery and falsehood that smart people like Andy and Kevin Preislick are going to rip to shreds. They've been hiding long enough. Let's go ahead and put it on the table, big boy. You know, I'm sorry, Annie. I'm being, I'm going against the stream. I'm swimming upstream here. I'm going against code, but it's a thought. You can tell me now why I'm wrong. <laughs> well, you know, Kevin, you had you had posited an idea earlier that there is something in there that's going to send other people on the other side of the aisle possibly to jail. People yeah, like I think Cohen, I think like Tony. Comey, yeah, I think but, Tony put. I think Tony Podesta's name is is probably one of the redacted redacted names having to, you know involved with the Manafort and, and Gates trial. I think Podesta, I think Tony Podesta, his brother, has some problems. I also think in there they, I have a feeling in there they may touch on the the FISA the FISA warrant and how they obtained it. Come on. Um, I think they may. Kevin, I you're think starting it's to be change. Redacted. I didn't change Annie's mind, but Kevin's starting to. Keep talking, Kevin. No, no, no. I, 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 I think you're going to see. I think you're going to see this kind of stuff in there. It might be redacted, but I, I do think you're going to see the FISA stuff in there. I think Tony Podesta's name's definitely in there. Well, let's my, just see the people that are screaming for it. Let's just see how sincere they are. Yeah, but they, I, they I, want I, it all I do out there. Think, but don't you think like the 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 people that testify that nobody knows of should be protected? Like the random people, like random Americans that that literally did nothing wrong. Well, and maybe there's something to be said for that. I, I will say that, you know, one thing that the Washington Post says that I agree with. There's other things they say I don't agree with. But one thing they say, democracy dies in darkness. I, I, I've, and this is probably an emotional response. I'm just about fed up with all this. Every time you try to investigate or find out something about the assassination of President Kennedy or Pan Am 103 or this scandal or giving weapons to uh, Mexican drug dealers, it's national security, executive privilege, uh, game playing in federal court, hope you get the right federal judge. It'll... I, I, I think, you know, the problem is, it, it isn't, we've been exposing too much. It's that ordinary citizens. The federal government's spying on us. They're probably tape recording this conversation because Robert Mueller went to, in part because Robert Mueller is one of the people that went to Congress and lobbied and said, we need a surveillance state in America uh, so that we can spy on every uh, landline call, every cell phone call, every text, every email, every internet search, every financial uh, digital financial transaction. It's like the government's spying on us all the time, but then all their stuff that they're doing, and we haven't even done anything wrong. Well, I mean, sure, we're all sinners. I understand that. But even though we haven't committed a crime, we're not under arrest, we haven't been indicted, we haven't been to a grand jury, we're not a terrorist, we're not, we have no guilty ties to terrorists, they're spying on us all the time. And then every time the people try to find out what the government's doing, oh, they're, you know, these records are going to be under seal for 50 years. Why do they need to seal the records of John Kennedy's assassination for 50 years? I've got one suggestion, because the federal government, the FBI, the people we count on, they covered up his murder, and and it's cover-up after cover-up after cover-up, and, and, you know, that's really what we talked about in the book, that Robert Mueller is Mr. Cover-up. He was marketed to America by the many in the mainstream media as Mr., you know, Dudley Do-Right, Straight Arrow Eagle Scout, and, and the reason he even got to the position where he could be appointed to be special counsel is that he is involved in cover-ups and Whitey Bulger, um, Pan Am 103, BCCI, 
anthrax, the surveillance state, weapons of mass destruction, Russian collusion, which he covered up uh, when the Cl- uh, Clintons were stockpiling cash in the Clinton Can- Cash Foundation and the Russians were getting 20% of America's uranium ore. I guess you know. I guess that's my speech, and I'll shut up. It's just I, I, I'm tired of the federal government <laughs> spying on everything the citizens do. But when the citizens try to find out what they're doing, oh, you can't look at this. You can't see this. This is a secret. This is executive privilege. This is national security. I understand what you're saying. Well, you know, um, Kevin, 100. percent But my 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 well, Kevin, question his, to you is, yeah. What were you well, saying? I was say his book really breaks down. I was going to say. John's book really does break down who Robert Mueller is. And when I read it, I remembered a lot of these news stories as they were going on because I lived in Massachusetts for a while, too, when Mueller was up there. I was also in New York at the time when he was uh, doing the TWA flight. Uh, What he got his hands into, and now that he's with this report, of course, there's going to be covers inside it. Um, It it is very interesting when you read it, and then you realize Mueller is the one now behind this report that – Ended Absolutely. up on William Barr's desk, um, so it, 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 that's why I'm glad I have the two of you here because we're getting it from two different perspectives. You know, you with the humor and satire of you know the actual conclusion of the report's going to be nothing's there, and yep. here with his inside knowledge of the truth behind Robert Mueller and who he really is. So I'm glad I have the two of you here at this point in time. I'm thank you for being let, with us. Yeah, let Kevin, me ask ahead. you a question. Let me ask you a question, John. Uh, Senator, um, John works. So, what? John works. Um, so when? So when? Um, so my question to you is: Andrew Weissman is on the uh, is on the team of Robert Mueller. Yeah. When Robert Mueller found out that Andrew Weissman was there, when Bruce Orr said that this is unverified and salacious, and nobody's ever nobody's gone to you know it was, came from the Clinton team and it was completely biased and somebody needed to look at it. The second Mueller found out that Weissman was in that room, should he have kicked Weissman off of his team? Oh, you know, sure, probably or possibly, but but I think the point you're getting at is that this the whole thing was corrupt, I, and and I think Kevin knows a lot about the you know the the dossier and the FISA that I don't that you know I think it sounds like he really studied that and I commend you for that, but I mean this is just one fact. Mueller fired. Strzok and Page, it sounds like a good thing until you find out he didn't tell anybody why he did it. He didn't tell anybody that he had all these texts. He didn't tell anybody that Strzok and Page were conspiring uh, if President Trump got elected to take them out and set them up and fabricate a case against them. So, I mean, Mueller has 30 years of cover-ups. Then he gets into this thing, and what does he do? He abuses the law. And I guess my point is, Mueller never did anything in good faith. He did not do – in, in 30 years, I haven't found one thing that he's done in good faith. Even Pan Am 103, when he covered up for the people that had those people blown to smithereens over Lockerbie, Scotland in, in, on December 21, 1988, and he, he lets the guilty go free. And then he scapegoats a couple Libyan intelligence officers who had nothing to do with the bombing. He um, – it's not enough that he lets the guilty go free and persecutes innocent people and scapegoats them. He actually went over to the United Kingdom and made this maudlin, sentimental speech about how sad it was for him to find the tennis shoes and sweaters and books and yearbooks and college books. There was 35 Syracuse students that got murdered in that, in that uh, midair massacre. He, he actually pretends 
that he feels sorry, for, he cares about the victims, when he covered up their murder. He denied justice to the, to the victims. He denied justice to their families. He denied justice to their friends. So, you know, the bigger question is, is Mueller honest or anything? I've seen no evidence of it. And, I mean, all I see is cover-up after cover-up after cover-up. And when it looks like he's doing the right thing, like making that speech in the United Kingdom, if you look behind the circumstance, it's fraud too. He didn't care about those people. If he would have cared, he would have been angry enough to say, look um, – Ahmed Jabril, you had the bomb built. You're going to prison. You're going to face the death penalty. Uh, Monster Alcazar, Syrian drug dealer that got the bomb, helped get the bomb on board. You're facing. You're going to be held accountable. CIA officials that gave the okay for the flight to leave, knowing that it had a bomb on board and that it was going to blow up a United States Army major that was fixing to blow the whistle on the CIA's support of a, a heroin drug trafficking ring that was bringing heroin into America. If you if you would have cared, you would have held the guilty accountable, and you wouldn't have been targeting and persecuting innocent people. Don't go over there and be phony and pray, you know, cried alligator tears in front of all the victims' families in the United Kingdom and act like you actually cared about what happened. He's a phony, and this whole, you know, I mean, yeah, I'm sorry, you, it's y'all's fault. You got me started, John, but John, <laughs> do you think um, Mueller? And Annie's Mueller just enjoying was, all this. Annie, it's your well, how do you really how do you really feel? No, yeah, kidding. there you go. Do, do you think that <laughs> Mueller was um, put in also to to hide um, the things that um, Hillary Clinton did? He's part of yeah. He's part of the team. I mean, I think he's just a team player. He covered up BCCI for Bush Senior. He helped cover up nine eleven for Bush Junior. He helped cover up the Russian, the real Russian inclusion of you know transferring the uranium ore, and the Clintons getting hundreds of millions of dollars in the Clinton Cash Foundation. He did that for the Clintons, and 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 for him being in law enforcement for 30 years, how many government cover-ups and scandals did he look the other way? So, are you saying was he there also to make sure Hillary in trouble? He's part of the team. Short answer: Yes. Yes. Well, you know, that that was one of the questions over in the chat room from our friend Warp, like wondering why you find nothing on Trump and then still release the report, knowing that he's going to be in the line of fire. But he's accustomed to that because he has a way, as you say, John, of deflecting the whole argument. It's like the magician, watch this hand while the other hand does something different. Because we do know Clapper admitted, uh, Kevin, Clapper admitted that prior to Obama leaving office, he um, – sat down with Obama and advised him about the investigation, about the FISA warrants. Obama already knew this before he left office. So, you know, you have not only that, you've got Clapper involved, you've got Obama involved. It is, it is an incestuous relationship that we have here. So it it is, I I think that my listeners are even smarter than (laughs) John Podesta with the password. They know where to look for, the dirt on the actual truth behind the report. Yeah, I, I think the um, I, th- I think the interesting part about this whole thing, and, and, and I have been doing real research on it um, ever since I've, I've learned about the FISA warrant. And I, I think, yeah, I think the the real problem uh, for the FISA warrant with me is not only spying on the on Americans and opening up counterintelligence, op- uh, you know, operations, but the fact that. Andrew McCabe or somebody high up in the FBI leaked Carter Page's name to the Washington Post. If they don't go to jail, they ruin this guy's life. If they don't go to jail for that, um, then you know I, I don't know what is illegal. They leaked whose name, Kevin? 
Carter Carter Page, the gentleman yep. that they spied on yep. with the FISA warrant. They leaked his uh, his name to the I believe it was the Washington Post, which is just completely insane to do that. Oh, I thought that was impossible. I thought none of Mueller or his people leaked anything. I thought they were airtight. Oh, but which by the way, that means it's impossible that the CNN showed up pre-dawn at Roger Stone's house to be there to videotape the entire arrest sequence. That that did not. They were happen. just good producers. No, I'm just there kidding. you go. That there you go. <laughs> no, somebody well, what, somebody let me had ask, to have no. You guys are asking me these tough questions that no one can answer. Let me ask y'all one. Don't you do you do y'all think that if the whole report was released that it would make some bad people look really, really bad, like possibly Mueller or Strzok or Page or Podesta? I uh well, I'll answer that. I, I think um I think Mueller I don't think Mueller was as, as involved as people think. I think he left everything up to Andrew Weissman and, and Jeannie Ray and all wow. that. Wow. Uh that's my guess. Um He was the meat okay. Yeah, I think he was I mean I, I but I, I do think that uh Strzok and Page the fact that the interesting fact that, that Mueller didn't or whoever was that had a talk with them, I believe they said it was Mueller didn't ask them if they were biased or didn't ask them anything about their text messages. Just basically said, you know, we saw your text and you're no longer on this investigation. They didn't say, hey, are you biased? Um, what were you talking about? Talking like going to dinner with a FISA judge. What was that? Ask no questions whatsoever about the, you know, his bias. And, and literally, like, when you think about that, you have an investigator on your team. I don't care if he's there for an hour, 30 minutes, or two weeks or two months, when you find out that he's got that much bias and she's got that much bias, I mean, I don't know how you have a legitimate investigation. Because once that comes out, it's game on. The defense would have destroyed them if this was a real trial. Yep. So yep. there's some shady stuff that's going on, and I don't think I, – I, I am just baffled, baffled that, that – People on the left just don't care. It just makes no sense to me. Yeah. They ought to love America and the truth more than that, even if they're mad at Donald Trump. Yeah, I mean, poor Rachel Maddow lost all her audience. Oh, did it? Okay. <laughs> oh, we're crying. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, yeah. What happened was the day, you know, Rachel Maddow was, was literally beating everybody. And MSNBC was right up there with uh, with Fox News. The following Monday, after Barr said that there was no collusion, Fox News beat CNN and uh, MSNBC combined for the entire night. Tucker Carlson, one day this week, had more viewers than all of them combined for the entire night. Wow. Yeah, so it just shows you that oh, you gotta... uh, the American people are fooled. Yeah. Well, you got to also getting... remember that there was that – that there was that huge movement uh, by the Southern Poverty Law Center and other groups trying to get Judge Jeanine permanently banned on Fox News. She's back. She only had a two-week hiatus. Uh, they were yep. also trying to close down Tucker Carlson. They're still actively uh, campaigning for that. And I, there's one thing I heard, and I don't know if anyone else heard this one, uh, but Brett Baer may have been one of the people that was actively campaigning for Judge Jeanine to leave. Tucker Carlson because he wanted to bring the Democratic debates over to Fox News. If that's true, I've lost any respect now, who, for him. Who I don't know who's campaigning uh, behind the scenes. To, who did it you was say Brett was? Bear and, uh, Brett Bear Bear. and Shepard Smith. And Shepard yeah. Smith. 
Well, it I can watch Shepard Smith. Smith. I, yeah, it was the two of them together. Yeah, and then they wanted to get rid of Judge Janine. Yeah, it's Shepard. Yeah, they and, pushed for the suspension. Tucker Carlson. And they wanted yeah. to get rid of Tucker Carlson too. Yeah, Media Matters. Um, yeah, I think it's called Media Matters. Wanted Tucker Carlson out. The only thing, to be honest with you, like. I don't know how this guy makes money, but the My Pillow guy is like the the greatest thing that ever happened to Fox News. Because um, he he advertised. I mean, literally, if you watch Fox News, it's the My Pillow guy. Every single every single commercial is that guy. Wow. Oh, you know, well, you who does, my, does, who does Mr. My Pillow want to be on TV? I guess that's an important question, then, isn't it? Well, yeah. I mean, he he's a huge he. That guy's a, he's a huge Trump supporter. He goes to like Trump's rallies, but he um, yeah, he advertises on every Fox News show. So every time oh somebody pulls out, he takes over their ads. I mean, watch Tucker Carlson. You'll see like fifteen My Pillow commercials. Golly. Well, we need to be praying. <laughs> um, I mean, I hate we get to the point where if you don't quote think right unquote, you can't speak to the American people. And I, when you know. Trump is – there was a prophet, and I don't know who it was uh, that said this. It was a Christian in America that said that Donald Trump was going to be a wrecking ball. Well, you know, the FBI has been up to this shit, and, and, and I'm not criticizing, you know, baseline fact, reality. We have thousands of people in the Department of Justice, CIA, and the FBI that are honest, family-loving, God-fearing, patriotic Americans. Having said that, there's been – institutional corruption in the FBI, the Department of Justice, and the CIA for at least 50 years. I mean, come on. Is there anybody in America that doesn't know that J. Edgar Hoover was a black male extortion artist? Is there anybody in America who hasn't figured out that the FBI covered up the, the assassination of President Kennedy? And if you read, they all the, we haven't gotten the truth either about Martin Luther King or Robert Kennedy. Some writers and researchers have got it, but the government, the government hasn't told us the truth, let alone Waco Massacre, Oklahoma, 9-11, shoot, the FBI got caught in 1993. This is not a conspiracy theory. They got caught red-handed telling a sheik, wasn't it a sheikh, whatever, uh, to, to place a bomb under one of the World Trade Centers. I mean, but but Donald Trump has been a wrecking ball because he's he's held them accountable. And they've, they've been crooked for a long time, but or there's been corruption in those agencies for a long time. But now, as never before, you hear ordinary met, uh, Americans, and I've heard them. On America, uh, talk radio shows across America, said, "What are, exactly are those people doing to help us? Should we even have them anymore?" Donald Trump has exposed the FBI, DOJ, and CIA. He's taken on the mainstream media. I'll tell you what, it's going to take them at least, in my view, half a generation, possibly a generation, to try to recover their credibility and their their trust with the American people. And and by the way, he's taken on the international trade establishment, the globalist bankers who are trying to uh, basically steal America's wealth and their international – all these trade treaties. So Donald Trump has been a wrecking ball, and I think some things he's wrecking, they needed to be shaken up. Man, you, have, you, you express your opinion, John, not in the least bit. <laughs> no. <laughs> Well, it's it's y'all's fault. Y'all got me fired up. You said some inflammatory things, and it's like, you know what? We might as well just haul off and tell the truth today. <laughs> well, we've got uh, William Barr that put out his four-page uh, summary on the, uh, the the Mueller report, and even people are trying to say, well, 
because he couldn't find any evidence, it doesn't mean that there wasn't something there. This is what I love, Kevin, is that simply because they didn't find anything to prosecute him for does not mean he did something wrong. It just they found no evidence. No evidence, then there's no crime, correct? Well, I don't think they had enough. Um, no matter what it was, they didn't have enough to, to bring any charges against anybody. In fact, the interesting thing that nobody really talks about for some reason is that the Russians offered up dirt to the Trump campaign, and they refused to take it. That's a good point. Which kind of tells you something on of itself is that they were – somebody said, here, take it. And they were like, no, we don't want it. So I don't know how you could find somebody guilty of doing something when they simply said no. And it's, uh, you know, a lot of people, a lot of people like That's to read every single word that Barr said. Oh, he meant this, he meant that. No, I, you know, what's his name? Punted obstruction, I think. I think Mueller punted the obstruction because I, I, I just don't think he wanted to, to deal with the, like the argument of whether or not a president could of obstructed justice in that way. Now, if President Trump would have said, you know, hey, so-and-so, I needed to lie to Mueller, like that's obstruction of justice. But yep. he he simply didn't do that. He would have shut the Mueller investigation down. He wouldn't have given him 1.4. He wouldn't have let the, the White House attorney, Dom McGahn, speak to him for 30 hours. He would have waived it. I mean, he would have done executive privilege all over the place. He didn't do any of that. You're right. So what was he, what was he obstructing? Where, how, how do you call out obstruction of justice? Yeah, obstruction of justice. I'm not giving you anything. You're fi- you're fired. You know. Uh, and telling people to lie. Yeah, he was the the fact that that um, Michael Cohen went in front of Congress, and and even they let him even utter his own word, like let him talk, was a disgrace to the you know the government. He's he's going to jail for lying to Congress. So all of a sudden now they believe him. And now last night he found 14 million more documents. Um, like the who, FBI who found 14 million I love that one. documents. I love that one. Last night uh, Michael Cohen found 14 uh, found a hard drive or a computer that had 14 million more documents on it, and he's gone through one percent of it. And that he needs more time, and he's asking the Democratic Democrats if they would write the judge a letter asking to delay his sentence and to also recommend a reduced prison. Uh, reduced prison role because of his help with Congress. Well, and you know, and, and I'm not totally unsympathetic. He, he he did some things that I think in retrospect some people would say were wrong. I also think that he's terrified right now. And you know what uh, the young lady that worked at, for the Trump family for years, the African-American name, uh, Lynette, y'all remember, probably remember her Linda, last name. Lynette Patton? Lynette Patton, yeah. She, uh, my understanding is stated that and I'm not sure how she knew this, but she said that the Mueller team told Cohen that his wife would go to prison for 30 years. And, and so, you know, back to our earlier question, you said, well, you think, you know, Robert Mueller made some, you know, ethical errors and some errors. And just, the whole thing was corrupt. I mean, who did – this is, a, a, you know, if you summarize his shakedowns, Jerome Corsi, he was conducting surveillance on the whole family and threatened his stepson with prosecution. Michael Flynn drove him into bankruptcy, threatened his son with prosecution. Michael Cohen threatened his wife with 30 years of jail. Paul Manafort basically tried to destroy his life, put him in solitary confinement. 
put him in he wouldn't say what they wanted against Trump so it's a question now it's going to take probably you know an act of god or a presidential intervention for him not to die in prison Roger Stone drove in, basically trying to drive him into bankruptcy and arresting him on national tv at 4 or 5 o'clock in the morning with a stormtrooper gestapo type pre-dawn raid Every bit of it videotaped. I mean, he's abusing his power at every step of the journey. And, you know, as as someone who practices law, prosecutors can use their authority to achieve justice, or they can abuse their authority to prevent justice and perpetrate injustice. And I don't see how anybody, I mean, and Corsi bowed up and sued him, sued Mueller, and said, look, they threatened me, they tried to intimidate me, they tried to badger me in the line. That's a crime. You cannot that, – that's suborning perjury. A prosecutor does not have a pass for getting people – well, the courts let them off all the time, and, almost, and they almost never get held accountable. But under the theory that no one is above the law, that ours is a government of laws and not of men – Federal prosecutors are not legally permitted to get people to lie in order to win a case or get a prosecution or be politically correct. Mueller's done nothing well, but – John oh, – I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, just that I've got my next guest up in the bullpen. Uh, so I want to thank John for you for calling in. Um, your book is the Mueller, uh, Robert Mueller, Aaron Boyd for the New World Order. It's an excellent book that really breaks down the personality of Robert Mueller and what he's really about. Once you read that book, then you can understand also Kevin's book, uh, which I believe you said is on Amazon as the fake Mueller report, and uh, up on Barnes & Noble as the Mueller report, the complete and final findings against Donald J. Trump. Uh, The two books go hand in hand, gentlemen, and I'm glad I had both of you on with us today. Thank you, John. I'm going to go buy your book right now. Oh, thank you, Kevin, and God bless you. Great work on, uh, on investigating the investigation. Annie, great show. Uh, best to you, Annie and Kevin. Thank you so much. Thank you, guys. Y'all take care. You take care. All right. Thank Bye. you. All Bye. right. Uh, John Milkovich and Kevin Preislick, uh, check out their books up on Amazon and Barnes & Noble. Uh, bringing in a gentleman that ended up linking up with me on LinkedIn, and I'm glad I got to meet him, Pete Lanteri. Uh, he's got a magazine out called American Border Mag, which you can find at AmericanBorderMag.com. Welcome aboard, Pete. How are you today? I'm doing good. How are you? Uh, hey, we don't have a border crisis, do we, Pete? Oh, come on. No, really? I, you know, that's been going on for decades. <laughs> it's a shame the way they, you know, it's, um, it's funny because- they manipulate everyone. <laughs> It is, it is, and uh, I keep on. I still have not been able to find it. And I remember sometime it was either back in '89. No, I'm pretty sure it was either '90 or '91. I was reading either Time or Newsweek, and they were talking about OTMs being found across the southern border. And at the time of that magazine article, back in the '90s, they were reporting Korans and prayer shawls and documents in Chinese being found on that southern border crossing. But lo and behold, it's, it, people are amazed that this is happening today. Oh, it didn't happen years ago. Yes, it did happen decades ago. We just never paid attention to it, but never on a scale such as this. Exactly. And, 
you know, the OTMs, which stands for other than Mexicans, mean people from other countries other than Mexico. And one of the ways the Democrats try to get away with saying that there's no border crisis is because nowadays um, we have a lot more agents and the apprehension numbers aren't where they were, you know, that they're not over the 1.2 or 1.3 million mark, like where they were a decade ago. The Dems say, well, that proves there's no border crisis because Border Patrol was arresting way more people 10 years ago with 10,000 less agents. But you have to dig into the numbers to, to see the game they're playing. And the truth is, if Border Patrol arrests 1.3 million um, people, that's just the total number of apprehensions. That doesn't mean that's the total number of people because a lot of Mexicans get arrested many times in one year. So 10 years ago, Mexicans would get arrested multiple times a year, which brings that actual 1.3 number. When you factor in people, it brings it to a lower number. But the other thing is Mexicans actually get deported same day. The bulk of them get deported the same day. So back then, we didn't have to house them anywhere near the numbers we have to house Central American families today. So that's the game that's being played. See, there was no crisis back then. Yes, we had less agents, but the, pe- the bulk of the people we were arresting, we were deporting same day. Whereas now they're Central Americans, they can't be deported same day. And with the Flores Amendment put in under the Clinton administration, you can only hold kids for 20 days. And then they screamed about the separation of families. And it was all a plot just to be able to get them into the country and get them released. And now we're seeing what's happening because there's no bed space left. Um, and Border Patrol is not even turning them over to ICE. If there's no space, Border Patrol turns them right over to a bus station or a church organization. Oh, it's big business for these church organizations. You know, all these Bologs, these volunteer organizations, you know, uh, non-government entities happen to be the Catholic Church, the Lutheran Church. It is big business for these religious organizations to become involved in resettlement of both refugees and illegal aliens. They get so much money per body. Yeah, it's big business, and they're they're getting money both ways. I'm sure the smugglers. Uh, are are giving them kickbacks. Um, I'm sure there's politicians here making money off of it. And then these church organizations get money from the taxpayers to do what they're doing. I mean, it's just everybody's making money on this except the American citizen. We're the ones paying the price. We're, we're footing the bill. We're the ones that are the victims of the crimes that these people commit. And it's it's a shame that the president hasn't, put the military on the border to do the job they need to be doing because most of the military that is on the border, I think there's now three to 4,000 total. um, They're mostly doing admin tasks for border patrol, you know, desk work, office work so that they could free up agents to go into the field. Um, Some of the uh, observation helicopters, uh, helicopter crews are doing good work, spotting traffic and then, directing Border Patrol over to it. Uh, some canine units, military canine units at checkpoints and border crossings are doing good stuff. But the problem is now a lot of the checkpoints are being shut down. Every checkpoint in New Mexico is now shut down. Uh, Western Texas also. 
all the checkpoints are shut down. So whatever they were catching, they are now not catching. And why are they shut down? Because they need more agents to take care of the Central American families. So what they're doing is collapsing the entire system. Uh, this whole operation is collapsing our entire system. And not only, you know, it's only reported that Central American families are coming in bulk. Well, right now, there's about 500 uh, families from Africa and Haiti and the Dominican Republic that are working their way through Mexico. So now you're going to start seeing families from around from the countries around the world that are um, being involved in this too, because the word is out about the, uh, you know, the loopholes they, they know. And the funny thing is now you're seeing more Mexicans coming in from the Northern border. They're flying into Canada and coming across because it's cheaper and safer for them to do that. Now, we know how porous the northern border is. You know, you've got entire towns that sit right smack on the U.S. and Canadian border. <clears throat> you cross the street and you're in Canada. <clears throat> yeah. And it's, it is a way to get around it. Now, there's so many loopholes that we have. And one of the things that really annoyed me with the involvement of these religious institutions in assisting these illegal aliens, I'm not even going to call them an immigrant because they are alien. Um, we had a call for a burglary in Brooklyn one day. We show up, it happens to be the Catholic Church. And the offices were burglarized, the safe was rifled. And you know what they were stealing? They were stealing the documents to make fraudulent green cards. The Catholic Church was issuing green cards. Wait a minute, isn't that a function of government to issue these green cards, not the Catholic Church? So they were creating fraudulent documents. But the church is doing this. And, and it, it angered me so much. All of a sudden, the sergeant calls us off the, the uh, crime scene. We get ushered out of there. No, it's a church. It's a sanctuary. You can't go back in. And we were not allowed to follow the reports stating that we know for a fact that they were committing fraud against the American people and the government, issuing these fraudulent green cards. But this isn't something new. This has been going on. And this was back in the late 1980s. <clears throat> this has been going on for decades. And we're not plugging the holes. No, it's their game in the system and they've been doing it for decades. Um, we know, we know why each side does it. The Democrats want the voters. The Republicans want the cheap labor. The churches want parishioners. Um, but there's plenty of stats to show how detrimental it is to us. I mean, Texas alone, you know, 600,000 cases of crimes committed by illegal aliens over the last decade or so. Um, we lose two to 3,000 people a year in this country at the hands of illegal illegal aliens, people that shouldn't even be, be here. And then, you know, I remember a decade ago when the Democrats were screaming, well, you should only be going after the criminal illegal aliens. But today, with all the sanctuary cities and states in the U.S., you're not even allowed to do that. They don't cooperate with ICE, and then they get put back on the street when after they're... they're criminal sentences over, they should be rightly deported. So, again, we're the ones paying the price, and, and no one's looking out for the American citizen. Pete? Well, what gets me really annoyed is that that they tell us, oh, they're not costing us anything. They're not getting food stamps wrong. They're not getting uh, government-sanctioned housing wrong. As a matter of fact, I can't tell you how many calls we had of an aided, meaning an injured or sick individual, turns out to be an illegal alien, and lo and behold, they have four or five different Medicaid cards on them. 
So we're paying for their medical. And they're using fraudulent cards there, too. So they're committing fraud against the taxpayer and the government also. So, yes, we pay and we pay and we pay. And I, I just want to make a note before I bring Curtis back on is how much money is being remitted back to their native countries. Number one in remittance is China of you know, aliens sending money back to China. Number two is Mexico. And what used to be number one is now number three, India. And that's what was the number I heard last night? Something like $485 billion a year. And if we only taxed 10% of those remittances before they send them out over the country, that is $4.85 billion we can return to our taxpayers' coffer. It's a huge, big business. Uh, I'm sorry, Chris. Yeah, go ahead. We know that's why Mexico. <laughs> that was my rant. We know that's why Mexico won't. Um, <laughs> well, we know that's why Mexico won't stop it because, you know, they're the number one source of money. It alternates between oil and remittances, but now Mexico, I think last year got 26 billion. So why would they stop it? It's a money maker for them. Pete, um, we know that most Americans. We get it, you know. We understand that there's a crisis at the border. But for those who get their information from a source that downplays it, what can we do to um, open their eyes to, you know, short of telling them to go to the border? What can we do to um, enlighten them about the situation? What The angle that's got to be played up, are these illegals that get released from jail and then kill Americans again, whether it's intentional or by accident, you know, a car accident or whatever that has to be played up. That has to be spread locally where, even if it's not, um, you know, if, if there's a case in California, it's got to be spread around the country. And we know, you know, all the sites we watch and all the news that, you know, people like us watch, we know those stories get spread, but those stories don't get spread in, uh, mainstream news and when i was living on long island years ago in new york we actually did a protest at newsday because they were not covering american citizens killed by illegals they were only covering uh immigrants that were killed by americans and it was one-sided and we had enough and it was a cold cold day you know 25 degrees but we were out there 25 of us 30 of us protesting um it's got to be brought to their attention, what 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 most people pay attention to, t- attention to is uh, the pocketbook, right? So, what also could be played up is the cost, because these people don't see, they don't realize how much extra in taxes they're paying to cover the costs of education and healthcare and incarceration of illegals, and it's getting out of hand. So, those yeah. are the nope. two angles that should be played up: the cost and uh, these illegals that are, are getting released and not to ICE, they're getting released and put back on our streets. Yeah, now, is the news day still up on uh, up in Garden City next to the Marine Corps base? Is, are they still there? Is that where you went for the protest? No, this was in Melville, uh, just off of 110, Route 110. Okay. All right, I know I know the area. Uh, we have a caller in on the line. Let me bring them in. It looks like a Skype caller. You're on the air live with Southern Sense. I'm your hostess, Annie, the radio chick, along with my co-host, Curtis C.S. Bennett. Our guest is Pete Lantari of American Border Magazine. To whom am I speaking? Hey, Annie. I'm just going by John uh, Media Moniker. 
Okay, John. Just by John. Yeah. You have a question or a yeah. comment for our guest? Yeah, well, um, I just wanted to make an addendum to uh, what he was saying, too. The other aspect of this that nobody ever talks about, the national corporations that like to flood America with these third world or, you know, other country people. So that way, whenever there's that much labor in the labor pool, these people that are coming from these other countries are not assimilating, so therefore the multinational corporations are more easily to manipulate those people, whereas most Americans will usually try to stand up for their constitutional rights. And with 80 million to 90 million legal United States citizens on the public dole, not only are we paying from the expense standpoint that you guys were talking about more directly for the care and you know, taking care of these foreigners when they come in, but also the 80 to 90 million Americans who are on the public dole cannot force these multinational companies to interview them for a job. They can't force them to hire them for a job. And these multinational companies are data mining all of your in, your information from all these technology companies, Facebook and Google and whatnot, so that way if you don't um, – politically sway the same way they like to be globalist, exclusively corporate governing the whole world, they don't hire you. They take over America that way, and then the foreign nationals actually buy land and stuff and, and licensing and leases through, like, the ports and the different agriculture that, like, China's doing so that they get to buy us out from underneath each other, or buy America right out from under us, and our Congress is not giving us representation. So that's fraud, extrinsic fraud, manipulation by fraudulent misrepresentation, coercion, you know, misprision. I mean, there's a lot of more to it, and I'm not the greatest speaker, but thank you for the time. <laughs> oh, thank you, John. Uh, Pete, he said a lot, and one of the things I wanted to bring up uh, it was one of the articles I, you had on your, your website about the H-1B visas. Uh, this is the biggest scam yet. They're trying to increase the number of visas for different com- uh, countries to bring these tech wizards in. They have to uh, attend college and take a test so that they can verify that they can speak, read, and write English. Now, here we've got scams going on on all sides because one of the articles in your magazine was about the arrest of five uh, five individuals who faked the IDs and pretended to be one of these H-1B visa holders to take the test for them. Here We've got a scam on this one that's now <laughs> ripping off us because these people actually cannot read, write, or speak English, but they're being hired by these companies as an H-1B visa, which is at a lower hourly salary than an American worker. So they're replacing the American worker, and we know for a fact uh, GM, uh, Walt Disney, uh, GE, have done this. They've brought in H-1B visa individuals and replaced American workers, and the American workers were forced to train these visa uh, immigrants. And then say, if you don't train them, you're going to lose your severance pay and any recommendation. So they're at, American is put out of a job to allow an H-1B visa. So that you think of border control and, and border uh, problems. We're getting hit in multiple uh, faceted ways. Yeah, and luckily Trump has been president. Um, that trend has started to shift in our di- in our direction, where you're starting to see 
wages go up faster for Americans and legal immigrants than for the illegals that are working here. Um, I know Breitbart does a lot of coverage on that aspect of this, but yes, the H-1B visa, which is supposed to be for high-tech individuals, high-tech jobs, um, I think the last I read, there was like an 80% fraud rate with that, that most of the people getting the H-1B visas were not high-tech individuals. They were, they were low-skilled workers. And we see the pushback from the Koch brothers because they are no fans of Trump and they're no fans of you know, the American worker. It's all about the cheapest labor they can get. Um, luckily, we are starting to see wages rise at a faster rate. And like I live in Arizona now, and any company that works in Arizona has to prove that their people are legal. They have to use the E-Verify. It's a statewide program. Now, E-Verify is not 100% foolproof, but just having that, just forcing the uh, businesses to have to use that statewide keeps the number of illegals working on a lower than average scale compared to a state like New York or California. Yeah, because um, here in South Carolina, we also had the E-Verify. And at that time, my husband had a business, so I tried it. You know, just It's very easy to use. It's not hard to use to verify someone. You just key in the person's name, social security number, and it's going to pop up whether or not they're uh, a legal resident or not, whether or not they're uh, – it gives just what you need to know, whether or not the person you are hiring deserves that job, if they are an American citizen or a legal resident. And I, I think this should be implemented nationwide. And as you say, it will lower the number of illegal immigrants, uh, illegal aliens, i got to correct myself, that are being used in the workforce. And if we lower the number that can obtain jobs in the United States, we're naturally going to lower the numbers that are going to want to cross the border for a job. And Pete, can you tell me when did economics become a refugee problem? It, you got religious and you got political but economics? No, that's not a refugee. No, and and that's the other system that's that's just fully, you know, just rampant fraud going on. Is everyone's claiming refugee asylum status? Now, I think under President Obama, 81% of the asylum claims got rejected, and now under President Trump, it's 91%. Um, so we are getting better better in that regard too. The problem is 92% of these people being released right now with an appearance ticket, they will not show up for their court date. So even though 91% of their claims will be rejected and they will have to leave the country, most of them aren't showing up. And that's, that's a major problem because the, the main reason, of course, there's the money aspect as to why these people are being, uh, you know, shipped in like this on, on the scale we haven't seen in a decade. Personally, I believe the main reason is, they're looking to get votes. Democrats are looking to get votes. A lot of these people are going to go to states with motor voter laws, meaning as soon as you register for a license, driver's license, you're automatically registered to vote. And I think the Democrats are scared because they know they can't beat Trump in 2020 because they're, the people running are just nothing but morons one after the other. I mean, it's just a circus sideshow of who is running on a Democrat ticket. So this is their back, their backstop. Let's try and ship in as many people as possible. And Republicans go along with it because of big business and cheap labor. 
Uh, that's that's a sad part. And then you have places such as California, uh, Washington, New York, that want $15 an hour minimum wage. Well, what do you think is going to happen? Uh, either A, you've got to get an H-1B visa person to take that job, or B, it's going to be replaced by automation. Go into a McDonald's now. How many people do you have working compared to, say, 10 years ago? You've got a kiosk then. You walk up to the kiosk, you punch in what you want, calls your number, hey, here's your food. Very, very little human interaction anymore. You use your debit card or shove the dollar bill into the machine, into the kiosk. You don't even need a cashier anymore. And you go to Walmart. How many do you have uh, self-scan uh, checkouts do you have compared to actual open aisles being manned by an individual? You've got more of these scan and go than you do have a cashier working with you. So, you know, the more they clamor for these higher minimum wage, you're going to place you know, an outside alien employee, H-1B-1 visa there, or it's going to be automated. And you, you shoot the American right in the foot right there. Yeah, exactly. It's a shame. Um, well, you've been... we have to do what we can, and that's put pressure on politicians. Um, you know, everything starts locally. I would tell people if – if you have to get some people together in your county, in your town, form some sort of civic organization and start going after the people on, you know, that, that are elected locally. I mean, you got to do what you can. We, we lost the big cities. Those, you know, anybody listening from a big city right now knows that the big cities are not part of America anymore in my mind, but we got to keep rural America. We got to keep the suburbs. So, um, we do need more people to get out there and start organizations. Um, we are being outworked in that regard because we know the George Soros money funds all these organizations that can, with one phone call, you know, get a thousand people to JFK to protest Trump's travel ban because they have people working full time on, on these kinds of issues. They're well organized and they're well funded. And that's where, you know, that's what they have against us. Obviously, we have the guns and the numbers, but we're being outfunded and we're being outworked. Um, Pete. You know, my my uh, my Senate election this past election cycle, we, we lost it to a communist, Kirsten Sinema. Wow. She should have never won that seat, but she outworked uh, Martha McSally. It was just that simple. Pete, yeah. a year down like the road her. from now... A year from a year down the road from now, Trump feels we have to close the border. Is that a battle he can win? Uh, not in the court of public opinion. Obviously, with the media hammering him 24 hours a day. Um, just like any any government shutdown nowadays, they, the Republicans are blamed, no matter who does it, which is the funny part. You know, Schumer did a shutdown, but the Republicans still got the blame. But Trump is the kind of guy that does not care what people think. He's going to do what's right. Now, I was annoyed when he backtracked yesterday because I got buddies in Border Patrol, a couple of them even write for the magazine. I uh, can't say who they are, of course, without some sort of backlash. But um, 
what's needed right now on that border, I mean, t- today, is military on the border, but not the way they deployed the military last time, meaning not office work or anything like that. They need boots on the ground at the border, and they need those people to stay there. The way Border Patrol operates is they drive around. So somebody wants to sneak through, they wait for a Border Patrol to leave. Most of the time, they won't even see Border Patrol. If there's a camera that sees them or a drone or a helicopter, then if there's agents, they respond to that. But that's not, you know, Border Patrol is a law enforcement organization trying to solve a military problem because right now we have an invasion going on. These people are not crossing where there's existing wall. They're crossing hundreds at a time where there's existing vehicle barrier and a vehicle barrier doesn't even stop vehicles anymore because the cartels just build ramps. They'll back up a truck, put the ramp over and the truck loaded with drugs will get over and then they'll pull the ramp and leave. So what stops the problem right now is people, you know, military at the border in the field, whether it's a mountain or a riverbed, you're there no one can get through at that point. You know, it, it is such a porous wall, but he is building it. Have you been down on the actual border recently? Uh, yeah, about a month ago. I'm going back tomorrow. There's a ranch that um, the, the Jim Chilton Ranch in Arizona. We we put a lot of cameras out, and we go and collect the data. You know, put new cards and batteries in them. We shift the cameras around depending on where the uh, where the traffic is going. I mean, the guy's got over 220, 230 smuggling trails just on his ranch alone. And it's only 24 miles wide. So you can imagine the tens of thousands of trails on the whole border. Um, But as far as Trump building new wall, I don't think any new sections have been erected yet, but it is in the works. You know, footings are being poured, that kind of stuff. I know he's erected uh, replacement fencing, which is always needed. Uh, maybe some additional barriers of, of other forms. I know he's in uh, he's in Calexico, California today, at a new uh, a new replacement section they just put in. So you know, it's government. It's it goes slow. He's got some what like 2.7 billion now to build uh, additional wall, and we'll see. I mean, walls work when you combine it with technology and, and uh, boots on the ground. If you just build a wall and walk away, that doesn't work. Well, Pete, it has been so much fun having you on, and there's so much more to talk about with border security. <clears throat> and people, like my friend, uh, my cutler says, there's not just you know a handful of border states. You're not looking at just Florida, you know, Texas, California, New York. Every single state that has an entry, be it an airport or a port, is a border state. So all 50 states are border states, and it's an issue for all 50 states to take a look at, not just on the, on the uh, federal government. We have to make our local government be active in this too, whether it's you know, apprehending an illegal criminal uh, that is here in the United States, you know, assisting law enforcement, but we've got to do something to uh, make America safe and great again. Thank you, Pete, for joining us. All right. Thank you. Take care, Pete. All right. Pete Lanteri, check out American Border uh, Magazine, americaborder.mag.com. 
Um, I, like I said, there's so much more to talk about. We can go on for hours. But we've got another favorite friend in the bullpen, another victim to the show. <laughs> Let's welcome back uh, <laughs> Reverend Bruce Hartman. Good afternoon, Bruce. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you today? Man, can you hear me? I, this show has been going. Yes, we got you. We got you. Uh, you got. How's the book doing, um, Jesus and Company? How's that book going on? It, well, it's doing well, and it came out in its paperback edition uh, early last month. So we're excited about that, and we've gotten really good reviews. Oh, excellent, excellent. It is a good book. I enjoyed reading it. Um, one of the reasons why I got you on is uh, Sutton turned around and sent me a little email, and I said, hmm, yeah, we've been dealing with this topic. The number of pro-Christian and pro-life movies that are coming out. Uh, we had on uh, several people involved with the movie Gosnell, uh, about Kermit Gosnell, and we've got a new movie out that just came out this past week called Unplanned. And it, people are hungering for these messages. Yeah, there's, uh, there's, no, there's no doubt about it. I mean, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of debate around abortion, um, Right now, and because you've had you've had a few governors push through their legislative more aggressive anti-abortion um, measures, so that's why I think there's a lot of debate. Plus, this this latest movie, Unplanned, is really pretty interesting because it's a Planned Parenthood. Uh, it's a story about a Planned Parenthood worker who moved over to the other side. Um, and what's interesting about the movie, it, first of all, it, it it got a fairly decent review. Um, and it's uh, by Christians that got an A plus review, and by non Christians that got a fifty percent on Rotten Tomatoes. But what's more troubling about that is um, a lot of the social media wouldn't allow it to be uh, promoted, and so the producers of the film uh, were very worried because radio stations and, and networks, and even Twitter, um, brought wouldn't allow a promotion for the movie, which is unheard of. Um, you know, any any movie that people want to promote, certainly under the freedom of press, we should be able to uh, promote movies. This is this is a a Christian opinion that people are labeling as hate uh, hate language. Yeah, that's funny because um, when I was speaking to the producers and the uh, director for Gosnell movie, they had the same exact problem. And of all places, you can now go on to Amazon and Walmart to get their movie, but you can't get it on Netflix. And Netflix is, is the biggest. Uh, I was able to do a video on demand through my uh, TV carrier, but people have to actually hunt for these. But the fact that they are hunting for them, it bodes well for the direction our, con- our country is starting to go in. Yeah, I mean, the lesson that, the, the lesson that people aren't learning is that God always prevails. There's a compelling, the compelling force of God is ir- irresistible. And no matter what Hollywood does or a uh, national syndicate does, you know, God has proven throughout history that God will prevail. Um, but for me, it, it, it's also akin to, you know, recently Facebook banned uh, Franklin Graham for hate speech, where he was concerned about the North Carolina uh, position on bathrooms. Well, it's an opinion. We may or may not agree with Franklin Graham, but he's one of the nicest people in the world. I can't even imagine him, um, and I, I live in his, his town, 
I can't even imagine him issuing hate speech. So what, what are we defining as hate speech? What are we defining as something that is um, that we shouldn't be letting the public hear? And, and who, who is in charge of this? You know, that is said in a mouthful uh, because I think it was Elijah Cummings recently that called for the monitoring of Fox News and certain commentators on Fox News. Uh, he wants to restrict the free speech of this news media. Can you imagine you've got a sitting congressman that would go so far to violate the Constitution to take away the freedom of speech of the news organization because they simply disagree with it? Yeah, and that's that's the dangerous uh, that's the dangerous current that that's existing is who is deciding what free speech is, and I think they're they're going into areas that really aren't. Again, you know, frankly, Graham, I, I don't know. If You've ever met him and you've heard him. He's not a mean-spirited person. And this movie, Unplanned, it is a, it's a point of view about the viability of when does human life exist, right? That's, that's all this movie is about. And it's, a, it's wonderfully done. And from a Christian point of view, it's very, relate, it's very much related to theology. So who is, who is trying to tell us what we should and shouldn't believe? Is it Hollywood? Or is it the common everyday American? You know, I got my much less, you know, our faith. <laughs> it's, the same people who, it's the same people who are teaching our children not to value life. You know, they right. spend a lot of time and effort into um, programming these um, young people, especially young women. And then for a movie to come out, that um, talks against that, you know, they have to shut it down. That's, that's their feelings about it. They can't let that right. happen. At this point, this point you just brought up, this is a very good point. It's about the viability of human life. And there was a wonderful movie made in the uh, early 70s, and Charlotte Heston was in it. It was called Soylent, Soylent Green. And it was about the government's incursion on when life was viable and not. With Charlton and Heston. Yes, and it's and Edward it's, G. Robinson. So what I'm, yes, right. And so I see a lot of similar thoughts. So, I, you know, I'll have somebody that's pro-abortion say to me, "Well, you know, it's not a it's not a human life until it's born." Well, wait a minute. What about the heartbeat? And what are we going to say about an 88 year old person that's in end stage? Should we hasten that? Or what about if we have a motorcycle victim? And the family hasn't been notified. I mean, at what point, who makes these decisions what's life and death? And I think we're walking away from the natural order of God and the natural order of nature as well. And we're deciding when people live and die. It's a very dangerous thing, especially if you put it in the hands of the government. And unfortunately, that's where it sits, because if anyone read the Obamacare bill, both the House and Senate, I read them both before they were married and passed, that we are not considered human beings. We are considered units. Throughout the bill, it describes the individual, you, me, the people listening in, are units, not human beings, not a patient. Right. And when the government treats you as an object and not human, you are disposable. And now we have this falling over into the classroom with our kids being raised and indoctrinated with, you know, hey, 
This is not a, another human being sitting next to you. It's just it's a unit. It's something to be counted right. and not valued for their, their, who they are. And what gets me angry is I believe it was North Carolina's uh, personhood bill was overturned uh, by a judge saying that because at eight weeks, most women don't realize they're pregnant, so it's got to be unconstitutional. But at eight weeks, we know that there have been children born at eight weeks and survived. So, you know, as you say, who is to say exactly when life begins? It's, it's just, you have to let nature take its course. And that's, I mean, that's what God's creation is. And we can't interfere with that. So if we have a heartbeat, whether it's in, in vitro or if it's an 88-year-old terminally can- a terminal cancer patient, we don't have the right to make that decision because we don't know what God's purpose or design for that is. You know, it's very dangerous to stop making decisions for God and for what life should be. And I, I don't see abortion any different than, um, you know, uh, a, a, a patient in a hospital that may be very serious. And how many people do we know that have been unconscious, the doctors have said that they won't wake up, and they have so it's it's not our, really our purpose to decide what God wants from each situation. You know, it, it's funny because we've had uh, people on the show in the past. Uh, Dawn Stefanik is one of them. Uh, she was a child of rape. And here people say, well, if it's incest or rape, you know, it's okay. But this woman would not be here today if that's how her birth mother actually felt. This woman had the courage to go through with the, the, the pregnancy. She was a victim of rape. This child is a child of rape, but she didn't blame the innocent child. She blamed the person that right. committed the crime against her. So she didn't take away the life of that preborn child. She gave it life. And then years later, just before her mother, birth mother passed away, they reunited. And, and right. you'd be amazed the love these two women had for each other, despite the circumstances of the birth. So who is to say exactly when? If it's not because of the, the health of the mother, if the mother's going to die, then it's going to be up to her and the father of the right. child to decide. What do we want? It's not up to government to decide. It's up to the parents. And what gets me so angry, and I know my listeners are probably tired of me talking about that, but when I went into those the day after the inauguration, I ran into that crowd of that protest, you know, the pro-choice wearing those stupid pink hats. And with them was marching a reverend, collar and all. Right. And I, I, I challenged him. I said, how dare you that you deny what God has given life? How dare you? And he was so embarrassed. He just kind of like scuttled away from me. But we have to ask, who, who makes that decision? Is it God for me, for you? Decision. I don't think so. Yeah, it's not exactly. It's not for us. It's not for us to end a heartbeat. And, you know, you'll hear people talk about uh, viable. That's the word that they use. Uh, and But viable is when a heartbeat is there. So, for instance, if, if you knew somebody was going to be in a coma for nine months and then they were going to wake up, would you kill them? Would you pull the plug? No. Why is it? Why is a fetus any different? And there's there's plenty of parents out there that can't have children, 
that are waiting in line for children and would gladly adopt these children. And I understand the economic burden on the mother and also perhaps with a rape or incest. You know, that's a terrible thing that that should happen. But there are people that want to be parents and they're waiting in line and we're flushing babies um, down the drain and we really shouldn't be doing that. No, and you look at the statistics, you've got over 600 million babies have been slaughtered by abortion since 1972. You can fill Super Bowl Stadium 200 times with the human lives that have been taken. That is, you consider 6 million were killed during World War II in the concentration camps. We have done it 100 times worse. In that brief period, we have done not 6 million, but 600 million. And if that's not an epidemic, if that is not genocide, I don't know what is. Yeah, it's a form of birth control, which is extraordinarily inappropriate to use abortion as a form of birth control. I mean, there's plenty of other methods, um, but 600 million is it's a staggering number, and that won't get published other than by you and me and uh, other folks, but it is a staggering number. It is. It is. And you consider how many people exist. And you're worrying about the few illegal aliens that are coming across the border. How many more human lives have been lost because of abortion? And there's another side to this that no one ever talks about. What Planned Parenthood women to know that every time they have an abortion, the more and more their reproductive system is weakened, the less chance that they will ever have a natural childbirth. You know, they yeah, don't realize the damage that they are doing to their bodies. And there's there's also psychological trauma uh, as well, which, you know, people, uh, when you kill somebody, whether it's a fetus or even if you're, you know, in the U.S. Armed Forces, you're going to suffer a, a, some form of PTSD. And that also isn't spoken about. No. And there are women that decades later regret the fact that they made that choice. Now, I unfortunately was never blessed with children. Uh, But just a few years back, uh, there was someone from our extended family found herself to be pregnant. And I looked to my husband and I said, you know what? Yeah, we are up there in years. Yes, we do have our health issues. But we told the father of this young girl, tell her we'll adopt the child. We'll take care of the child. And should she come back years later and decide she wants to raise the child as her own, that child will be here. They will be with us. He came back and said, it's too late. I took her for an abortion. I mean, I was devastated. I was absolutely devastated. There are people like us out there that are willing to help. I mean, yes, it's an extended family member, but hey, this is what we're here for. We're willing and able to step in where you, you are afraid to. And it is a truth that the Planned Parenthood does not want to talk about. And I did a little rant earlier, uh, Bruce, about the involvement of the Girl Scouts in Planned Parenthood. And our young, vulnerable girls are being exposed to a, a segment of society that at this young age I don't think is appropriate. No, it, it certainly isn't. And, you know, the, the roots of this is about, 
you know, personal independence. And that's when you think about abortion, it's become a flashpoint from I can decide what I'm going to do. And we all should be able to do that. But when it comes to human life, you know, one of the commandments is thou shalt not kill. That, that message is in the commandments for a reason. And it's not uh, for us to decide what that reason is, but just to follow the commandment. And I don't, I don't mean to be blind and, um, you know, just be stuck completely because it has to be part of your heart as well. But God doesn't want us killing. And no matter how you sugarcoat abortion, that's what it is. And it does come down to the point of conception. You know, human life has been established. There is uh, medical evidence to support this. And just in the evidence that the baby would go to full term is evidence enough. And again, I would go, if you had someone who was in a horrible motorcycle accident, the doctors told you that in nine months they'd be okay, would you pull the plug? No, you wouldn't. Why would you do that on a fetus? You know, um, there's a comment that was made by our friend Vorp in the uh, chat room, and it's actually something I challenged the woman walking with that reverend in that pro, pro-choice rally. Uh, she had the sign saying, my choice, my body. And I said, that is another human being separate inside that body. Who speaks for that right. child? I said, right. who are you to decide that another human being should or should not. And you know what? What really gets me, <laughs> gets my goat, is that I would say 99.9% of these women out there marching for this pro-choice would also protest uh, death sentences of prisoners that committed horrific crimes. So here you're willing to choose, kill an innocent child, but then someone that has been found guilty of some of the most horrific crimes against society, you're willing to defend their life. And the hypocrisy there, Bruce, is just stunning, isn't it? It, it is. And many of our political positions, and I, and I think that abortion is more of a political issue than it should be. Um, and so when you talk about you comparing abortion to death sentence um, and you flip-flopping on that, you're only proving that you have a political position that you want to that you want to support without really thinking about the consequences. Um, this, this issue on abortion versus, you know, a person that's in prison, I don't agree that we should be, um, you know, have, have the death penalty. I don't also agree that the people should be allowed to walk among society. But I also don't believe we should be killing fetuses. And to me, I don't, I don't see the difference. I don't think God does either. Exactly. Now, I- well, you recently were ordained a minister. Uh, congratulations! I didn't mention that the last no, time I, we spoke. Um, I was made a doc. I was made a doctor. All right, I um, apologize. Yes. I just noticed that something no, had no, occurred no, no, that okay. it, it was it's, the. Uh, it's yeah. No, I, I am. Uh, I have been a minister, I wanna, I, and I now have a, have a doctor degree. Oh, great! Um, I want to bring back because you mentioned uh, the commandment, "Thou shalt not." And you said kill. But if I remember my teachings, uh, the Greek word, and I don't remember the Greek word, when interpreted, says thou shalt not murder. And because the Lord knew that wars are inevitable and you must defend your home. So it is inevitable that killing will exist. It's part of human nature. But he said you will not murder, meaning commit a crime with the deliberate act of intending to take someone's life wrongfully. Uh, So when, when we hear people... 
that are pro-choice, they always say, well, what about the commandment, thou shalt not kill? No, it's thou shalt not murder. And they right. use a wrong argument to convince people that pro-choice is good. Right. Yeah, that's very good theological insight on your part. And that's, it's, I think it's a really important uh, point that you're making. Uh, and, you know, Jesus takes it further, this do not murder, is he, he talks about our hearts. You know, if we're angry with our brother or sister, then we are also committing murder. So it, it, it comes to how, how we value our neighbor. And to me, fetus is a neighbor. Fetus is a viable human being. And it is in the woman's butt to make the, the connection between my body, my decision, is inappropriate. It's God's decision. Exactly. Exactly. And as they, the commands, the two most powerful, thou shalt love thy, God, thy Lord, thy God, with all thy heart and all thy mind. And thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Upon these two commandments hang all the word and the prophecies. And if people remember right. that, we, we wouldn't have half the division we have in today's uh, society. No, no, we should, especially, you know, we should always love God and praise God and uh, and have a personal relationship with God. But many times we overlook the second part of what Jesus said is to be nice and friendly and courteous and respectful and generous and patient with our neighbor. And when I listen to the political debate in our country today, it is anything but love thy neighbor. Exactly. Now, Bigfoot in the chat room pointed out that the Old Testament commanded the death penalty for some offenses, but abrogated. He brought the new law to the land, which was found in the gospel. So, you know, if you, if you go by the Old Testament, it doesn't always look that good. But once Christ came, he changed the law and the world. Yes. You know, Jesus changed it from... And, and he was very clear about this with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. That, um, and, and it's in the Sermon of the Mount. It's a wonderful section of the Sermon of the Mount where Jesus goes through the various commandments. But the basic, the basic point Jesus was making, it's, it's, it's your heart. It isn't the law. It's sure we have the Ten Commandments, but how you follow the Ten Commandments isn't legalistically. You follow it with your heart. Thou should not steal. Thou should not murder. Uh, thou should not commit adultery. And you could even look at adultery as saying, if, for instance, I looked at another woman with lust, I've committed adultery on my wife. And it is disrespectful to my wife to do something like that. And that's what, that's what Jesus was talking about. So the Old Testament has some pretty, you know, difficult passages. But as you said, when Jesus came, it cha we changed from the law to following with love and through our hearts. Exactly, exactly. You know, it's so much fun always talking to you. And your book, Jesus and Company, uh, was a real eye-opener because as we talked, you know, if you are a true Christian, if you really do believe in the gospel as, you know, written by the, uh, the apostles, and you follow that, you can live a life and have a profitable life. You, you know, you don't have to be greedy. Uh, we were talking about immigration earlier before you came on about corporations that are so greedy and they want these H-1B-1 visas because they can get people hired at less than what an American would be paid. And that's not following the teachings of Christ. But we can right. mix business 
and everything in our life, politics, family, as long as we follow the teachings of Christ. Right. And, you know, I get asked a lot, um, how do you, how do you bring Jesus to work? That's the, I would say the number one question I get because of my ministry. And it, to me, it's simple. Just be the gospel at work. You don't have to go in and put uh, statues of Jesus and crosses up all over your office. It's more important how you are, who you are, and how well you live into the two commandments we talked about earlier. And that's essentially what the book is about. It's not that hard. Um, And many people have done it. Many people have been extraordinarily successful. Yeah, uh, because I'm going to go back to um, the film that we were talking about. And I noticed it's the MyPillow guy. He keeps on popping up all over the place. If he's not a perfect example of taking his faith and putting it out there, uh, not bragging, not showing off or anything, in a humble way. But he puts his his word forward first. He puts his heart forward first. Uh, Mike Lindell of MyPillow, because he's behind this film, Unplanned. And you, you look at some of the things he's done in areas of disaster where we've had recent flooding. He's gone out there with you know people that have lost everything, and just out of his own heart, he doesn't put it up in the front page of the New York Times or anything. He just quietly goes and does this stuff, and that's what you write about. Right, it's not about yeah. And I mean, one of the things that that Jesus got concerned about is when he saw people with long prayer um, prayer um, shawls that you know back in the first century. That's how people would show how pious they were. That's not how pious you are. Uh, some of the most pious people I meet are the humblest, the kindest people that you would meet. And you would never know they're Christian until you ask them about their lives and why they do what they do. You know, it's, it's uh, funny because just this past week I lost a, a friend of ours, you know, a guy I, I really admired. And uh, I didn't realize uh, – as I was checking out of the hospital on the 28th, he was he was uh, checking out with the Lord. And when I, I realized that he had passed away, and I, there was like a little four or five line obituary in the newspaper, I contacted the newspaper editor and I said, listen, I know that you take prominent people in the community and you do a nice editorial on that. And I said, so you think you really should look at this guy? You know, I know him and I've known him to do X, Y, Z, but he's always been quiet about it. Uh, he was a very humble, very Duke man. And whenever we needed help with uh, my tea party group or anything, he was always right there. He was always involved in the church and the ministry there. And I said, you got to write something about this. And he goes, well, why don't you write something and I'll put it in a letter to the editor. And I'm thinking, well, that's kind of cheesy. You know, here I want to <laughs> recognize someone for the humble and good Christian he was. And it's like, well, write a letter to the editor and I'll, put, I'll print it, which I did. Um, right. But, you know, Monday I'm going to be there at this guy's funeral, and these people work quietly in the background, and you don't realize what they've done until they've gone. And then what what they would say, I'm sure this is what your friend would say when you thanked him for some good work that he did for and with you. He said, I just did it for the glory of God. And that that is a true Christian attitude, and that's what we should bring to work every day. What we do, we do for glory of God. Absolutely. Amen with that. You know, if we had more people like that, you know, I, when we had the hurricane come through here, um, I have a liberal neighbor and 
and she was surprised that, you know, she and her her girlfriend or, I don't know, wife or whatever, you know, bugged out in the town. I had her phone number. And after the hurricane came over, my husband and I went and checked her property for her. And I says, you know, if you need anything, you know, here's pictures of the house. Everything's fine. You're all right. Don't worry about it. And she was surprised that we would do that. But isn't that what being a good neighbor is, to look out for each other? Oh, it's it's 100%. Uh, I mean, the most important thing I think you can do, other than, you know, be prayerful and uh, honor and respect our Lord, is to honor and respect your neighbor um, and care about them as you would care about yourself. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, there's so much uh, looks like our next guest maybe not making it. Uh, Curtis tried to reach out to her, and hopefully maybe she might call in. We were going to have, following you, with uh, Elizabeth Johnston, the activist mommy. Uh, one of the things I want to talk about is that there's these pro-life rallies that are going on around the country, especially in the wake of this New York State abortion law. And I know my local GOP is putting together a resolution to present to uh, the state GOP and then on to the national GOP in supporting personhood. Now, I don't know how much you know about the New York state law, but when I lived in New York, one of the things we worked on was recognizing the personhood of the preborn child. If a woman's a victim of a crime and that fetus is harmed or killed in the commission of a human being, a live human being, with all the same penalties for murder, assault, whatever. Uh, but the New York state law nullified that when it recently passed. Well, which is, um, which it, it gets back to the point of what's, what's viable and, and who's making that decision. And at a minimum, you can say heartbeat. But, you know, what would the state of New York do is if the woman was with her father and somebody harmed her and at the same time in this accident killed her father, what, what would the law be? So the question would be is, you know, where do we start drawing the line about viability? Is, is her father, uh, certainly that would be murder on this person's part, but why wouldn't it be with a fetus? No, exactly that. And the worst part about this New York state law, as I pointed out, uh, under Title Eight of the education law, licensing, um, Title Eight defines a medical professional anything from a surgeon, physician, all the way down to the veteran. You could, a physical therapist, um, uh, you can have uh, the pharmacist. Uh, Any one of them is considered under Title VIII a medical professional in which the mother can consult with and determine whether or not they want to keep the child. And the health of the mother not defined in this law at all. So the health could be physical, financial, emotional, uh, familial. Anything can be defined as the health of the mother. So you've got a whole broad spectrum of individuals that can be involved and authorized an abortion. And then the abortion can be performed by a nurse practitioner. You don't need a surgeon to perform this. Is this not amazing? And then the people of the state of New York cheered this law? Well, you know, it's interesting. Um, one of the things I, I would want to answer that in two parts. One is, you know, we we keep coming back to 
um, you know, who's making these decisions, right? So, so that that's piece number one. We already know who should be making that decision. But the the second thing is is where where are we being pushed to? Where's a society? Where are we being pushed to? Are we being pushed to live out that movie Soylent Green that that was with Charlton Heston back in the seventies, where the government decides whether we live or die? And you know you talk about uh, Obamacare, you know referring to us as units. That's another step of that's another step in this world of dystopia that we may be falling into. And, you know, people may get concerned about, um, you know, various aspects of abortion, but I wouldn't be concerned about that. I would be more concerned about who's defining human viability and who's defining for us as a society who lives and who dies. Because I don't see it just as a fetish issue. I exactly. I see ten, ten years from now, you know, uh, when you have an 85 year old man um, laying in a bed with terminal cancer, and he's not going to make it. Do we end his life because we don't want to waste the resources keeping him alive? Well, Bruce, not to make you depressed. Like I said, I read the Obamacare bill before it was passed, and it it stresses care for the individual between the age of 16 and 45 as the maximum viable. And then it would be up to Obamacare uh, and whoever stands between you and the physician to determine if you're not yet 16, is this care necessary? Are you going to be a viable uh, member of society? If so, then you will take care of you. And as you say, if you're someone there, 85, and you're on your last leg, and you may have just maybe a couple of months left, according to Obamacare, care can be withheld from you because you may not be seen as a viable member of society. You're not between 16 and 45. It's in the bill. It's already yeah, happened. Uh, yeah, so, and so as we keep you know, to me, abortion is part of that boundary that we keep stretching past where we should be. Um, you know, there there are there are millions of Americans over the age of forty five that are viable and will continue to be for sixty or seventy more years. There are people that um, go out, they walk the entire length of the Appalachian Trail, and they're over the age of forty five. Um, there are people that have second careers and they're very viable after the age of 55. So who's making that decision that a 45-year-old is is the, is the age that we stop that at? And, you know, what, what are the qualifications? And what we're doing is we're allowing secularism to dictate basic tenets of life and quality of life when it's really God's decision, not us. Yeah, that is a huge, huge amen on that one. And if we just live our lives by just following the basic teachings and following the Ten Commandments, we would have such a better society. But instead we have it where, I'm sorry, uh, you're clinging to your God and guns, so you've got to be crazy. You can't be sane. And you've got to think the way I think. You can't have any independent thought. So, you know, if you're not following the crowd, and if you're not following the pablum that Hollywood and these other elitists want to push out there, that believing in God is bad, 
But, oh, wait a minute, we have to allow Muslim prayer in school. So, you know, I guess maybe in that case, God is good. Uh, it, 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 it's a that's being pressed on the public and our youth, and they're swallowing it. Well, it's like when you and I were in high school. You know, there were the in things and then there were the out things, right? And, you know, many times what was in wasn't fair and what was out wasn't fair. And that's just the way teenagers act. And many, and I think many of our politicians and, and particularly the folks in Hollywood act like those teenagers deciding who's cool and who isn't cool. And these issues are they're thought through not with intellect or reason or even with the Bible, they're thought through as what's fashionable. And right now it is fashionable to do some of the things that you've said, but it doesn't mean it's right. And I, and I wish our, our pastors um, would stand up more when they hear this stuff and, and speak about the, the gospel and stick to the gospel as opposed to siding with Hollywood. And that, that's a sad thing. And, you know, I was disappointed in one of um, our reverends when he did a sermon. He, he actually criticized uh, the uh, Supreme Court when they came out with uh, the ruling about same-sex marriage, making it say, hey, listen, you know, it's unconstitutional to deny same-sex marriage. Uh, because he looked at it the biblical way, and he looked at it as the gospel, and he says, well, listen, we're taught... And this is what Christ said, one man, one woman, and we disagree with the Supreme Court because now they're defining religion. They're telling us how to uh, practice our religion by telling us you have to perform a same-sex marriage. He did marvelous, marvelous sermon. Do you know two weeks later he stood on that same pulpit and apologized for that sermon? Because someone in the congregation must have picked up the phone and chewed his ear off. We've got to be able to stand firm and not let someone else make us back down. I mean, that's, you know, and I think as a society, too often we take the short-term course as opposed to the long-term course. And maybe if he hadn't apologized, maybe he would have been fired. Um, but is, you know, being fired worth the, isn't it worth doing the right thing? Um, it's not like his life has ended or he's no longer going to exist. He probably certainly would get another job. Because uh, people admire people of character, um, but too often we take the expedient. We we fall in line with what the in crowd wants us to think. And you know, part of the role of clergy is to remind everybody what what it is that Jesus and God want us to think, and not what um, the in crowd wants us to think. So that's when I see that. Um, that's what, that's what bothers me about politics today and religion today, that it's, a, it's a, such a simple message. Love God, love your neighbor, and do not do no harm. That's Bruce. a simple life. Yeah, one, Bruce. One of the am, that, am I, go ahead, Curtis. Am I old-fashioned, but when I hear people like the new mayor of Chicago talk about, um, you know, I appreciate my my wife, and we're talking about a female, one female to another. I just feel, I don't know, like I'm in a different world or something, a different reality. Should I feel that way? I mean, there was a general who one time introduced his um, his um, 
mate as his husband, and I felt the same way, kind of weird. <laughs> should I feel yeah, that I way, mean, or should I just accept the norms now, the new norms? Well, so if this is complicated because of two things. One is one man, one woman, correct? So that's that's one issue. And the second side of it is we to love our neighbor um, and not judge our neighbor. Um, you know, how they choose to live, we may disagree with, but it doesn't mean that we treat them differently because all have sinned. And, you know, I'm not saying that I exactly. support I'm not saying I support gay marriage, but I do support being respectful and loving all sinners. Because I, I have, I would have a hard time, uh, Curtis, telling you that um, I live today perfectly because I didn't. You know, so that's you, said, I, you said a lot there because I, I had a debate with a couple. They were a same-sex couple, and we were debating, you know, same-sex <laughs> marriage. And I explained, the moment the Supreme Court uses the word marriage, they are defining religion in violation of the First Amendment. That Congress shall establish no religion, nor, nor prevent the expression thereof, which is something that everyone else seems to forget about that part of it. Where I basically said, listen, every single state, every single locality has a clerk. You have to go there and get a domestic union license. They may label it a marriage license, but in fact, it's a contract, the legal document, a contract stating that the two of you will exist, exist as a familial unit, as a domestic couple. You go get that, and you can go to any church, temple, or synagogue that is willing to perform that ceremony. You get the domestic union, you're legally recognized as a couple, subject to all rights of inheritance, uh, custody, uh, everything that any other male-female married couple can enjoy. The only difference is, is once you take it to a religious institution and they perform that right, it goes from a domestic civil union to a religious right called marriage. And when I explained it like that, people every, everywhere I say, they go, I, I understand that. I get it. I get it. So then what is this fight over? The fight is over power. And if they can control right. us and our faith and our religion, they control us. So now you've got different uh, religious schools that are closing down because now they're forcing same-sex bathrooms on these, these religious schools. You've got other churches being forced to perform same-sex marriage. And it's occurred easily several times in New Jersey where the same-sex couple wanted to have the re- the ceremony performed on their property, and they said, no, we don't endorse the same sex. We believe in one man, one woman. That is our faith. But the courts ruled against those religious institutions. So it is happening. If they can control our faith, they control us. And now we have no God but the government, and it's the government that, whose fault we'll end up worshiping on. I'm sorry. It's another rant of mine, Bruce, but you got me started. Well, what- well, I have to I have to leave for my next appointment, but I, I'll leave you with this thought: Governments have never never been have never proven to be trustworthy. God always has. Where do we put our faith? And that that's what I would leave exactly. you with. And to, to always keep that in mind. I would thank well, you for having me. And, Bruce, uh, and go ahead. Well, it's been a pleasure, Bruce, and I'm telling everyone to go out and get your book, Jesus and Company. So, Bruce Hartman, thank you very much, and you know you're welcome anytime. 
All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. Uh, great guests, Curtis. We had a whole mess of great guests today, one after another. And holy cow, we've got just about 15 minutes left on the show. And yeah. I'm sorry that Elizabeth Johnston did, uh, didn't call in because in Virginia tomorrow, there is a pro-life rally that she wanted me to uh, pump up. And uh, she's got the details for it. And I'm sorry that she's not joining us. Uh, it's a day of mourning in response to the Virginia governor's defense of inf- in, in I can't even pronounce this word. Infanticide. 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 Thank you. They're asking organizers, organizers uh, to do three things. Wear black, fast and pray, and repent for the sin of abortion. And I'm looking to see where this rally is supposed to be uh, tomorrow. And I guess it's just statewide that, you know, everyone to statewide, symbolically mm-hmm. participate wherever they are statewide. But to wear black, fast and pray, and repent for the sin of abortion. And... uh there's going to be an event at the Greater Richmond Convention Center in Richmond, Virginia. I'm not seeing a time on this, though. So I'm sure it'll be in the papers in Virginia. Uh, oh, there is a website. Okay. Let me read the whole thing through. The website is dayofmourning.org. That's dayofmourning.org. And the tickets are free through Evanbright. So people go on to dayofmourning.org, and they can... Get tickets to the Richmond event. Oh, man. All right. Moving on. Okay. Yeah, I I was just trying to say that, um, I was just trying to say that, you know, through my religious teachings and upbringing, you know, the Bible talks against certain things, you know, and then society puts you in a position where you have to pretty much, you know, just go along, you know, even, and I guess what I'm trying to say, it's like the baker, you know, who has a business and then some, some couple come in there and they want him to bake them a cake, wedding cake or something. And what they're asking him goes against what he believes, you know, and then that's where I think you have conflict with um, government, you know, when it comes to your faith, and that's the angle I was coming at. Yeah, it's not here that again, I, don't I stress the First Amendment. Yeah. No, here I stress the First Amendment, and this is where the courts get it wrong every time. It says government shall not um, establish a religion, nor prevent the free thereof. Now, I'm an individual. I am a human being. I am not a machine. I am subject to emotion. I am subject to my belief and my faith. So when government turns around and tells me that I must accept, and, I, and if I am producing a product, I must produce a product along the lines of something that violates my faith. Now they're pre- yeah. preventing the free expression of my religion. They are violating my constitutional right to express it. It doesn't say that you must express it only within the confines of your religious institution, that building, that, that brick and mortar. No, it does not say that. It does not limit where I express it. I can stand on the corner and shout to the sky what my faith is. I'm basically doing exactly what Christ is telling us not to do. Uh, if you read Matthew, um, but 
government cannot prohibit me. If I decide to wear a crucifix or a prayer shawl or whatever, government cannot tell me I am not allowed to wear that piece of clothing. So when you have schools, and these kids go to schools and they're wearing either yarmulke or they're wearing a crucifix or they're carrying a Bible. They are expressing their First Amendment right to freely express their religion. And when government tells you, no, you cannot attend school, you've got to go home and change. You've got to take that off. and You're not allowed to wear it. They are violating our First Amendment right. And we have, I want to go to a military ceremony and say a Christian prayer over the brave of a fallen military per individual or their family member. You cannot prohibit me. You had a military cemetery in, a national cemetery in Texas, where the director of that cemetery prevented the priests and reverends from saying a Christian prayer on the cemetery premises. That violates the First Amendment, and I don't care where. If you stand up in a courtroom and recite the, the Our Father, government cannot prevent you from doing that. And this is where we keep getting it wrong, and we don't push back. It is time we push back. And it's another well, rant. Know, I'm on a roll today. You know, uh, I never thought I'd see the day when the slogan, Make America Great Again, would offend so many people. <laughs> it's just so bizarre, you know. But we got people out there that doesn't they Here's don't my, like that term because it's associated with someone they don't like. My, it doesn't fit over my headset too well, but I got my Make America Great Again hat on. Uh uh-uh, uh. I got it. I got it. It just doesn't fit over the headset. <laughs> it makes you wonder where but this no, country it, come to come to. You know, it was, you had Eric Holder, I believe it was just the other day, that was ranting about when was America great? Yeah. When wasn't it? America, America was great when these colonies united to throw off the yoke of tyranny. And right. not only did they throw off the yoke of tyranny, they created a brand new experiment, a republic. A republic. I'm sorry, don't tell me it's a democracy. Democracy is mob rule that leads to socialism and eventually communism. This is a republic, a nation built upon a foundation, a oh. rule of laws, our constitution. Well, well you know, men, he, he had to say slavery, of, too. And we overcame slavery. Uh, well, we banned that. Uh, this is where I'm going to get to, because if anyone knows the history of the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution, our founding fathers, when they wrote those two important documents, argued and debated, but they realized eventually freedom of the slave will come about. And oh, by the way, who was the first legally recognized slaveholder? Happened to be a black man who owned a white slave. So don't tell me that reparations by people that have immigrated here to the United States centuries after uh, slavery was abolished. Uh-uh, uh-uh. You ain't getting a penny from me because I had nothing to do with it, you fools. Anyway, <laughs> um, the nation was great when we debated it and we realized that we had to make some sort of a compromise in order to establish this republic. Once we established it, the debate and the argument continued, which resulted in, as they say, the uncivil war the war of northern incursion, or however you want to call it, the Civil War. And we got the freedom. And who was it? It was the Republicans, the original Whig Party. And who put the first 
woman up for president and the first black man as a vice president, the birth of the Republican Party, the Whig Party, Elizabeth Woodhull and Frederick Douglass on the same ticket. And just two years later, we had the Republican Party and Frederick Douglass was a proud Republican, as was Elizabeth Woodhull. And that was when our nation was great. Our nation was great in 1865 when the first civil rights legislation was repassed by a Republican Congress, Senate, and President. Our nation has continued to be great when we realize we've done things wrong and we've reversed the trend. We have been great and we will continue to be great and we've got to well, fight to stay great. I think um, Eric I missed I think he missed the class that um, talked about the two um, – great world wars that we we won i guess he missed um the the fact that the united states is the only country that placed a man on the moon you know a couple of them and no one else has over the last 50 years i guess he he forgot all about that or skipped that class so we we are great you know we are an exceptional country and democrats like eric holder will tell you that we're not um exceptional and that's sad because no he made other, it to where he is no because other this country nation. is exceptional. As a black man, he became, I believe, the first black, you know, attorney general of the United States. But no, no other country could him. hurt us. No, yeah. other, no other country affords its citizens the liberties and freedoms that we do. You can be born homeless. And grow up to be a member of the presidential candidate, cabinet. You can be born to a single family parent, a mother struggling just to raise you and become a U.S. senator. You can come from dirt and be whatever you choose to strive to be. We have the right to pursue happiness. We don't have the right of guaranteed of happiness, but the right mm-hmm. to pursue what our dreams are. And if you fail, hey, you get a chance only here to try again. Only here can you try multiple times and then find what you're going to succeed at. Only if you're willing to pursue it to the end. America has been great and America will continue to be great. And may God bless. Curtis, we're down to our final four minutes. Um, we'll be back here on Friday. Uh, we've got a new author, Veronica Hinkey that has a book out about the last night aboard the Titanic. Um, and we also have another gentleman that wrote a book called Moses versus Jesus. I'm looking forward to Mo- reading that. Mo- and uh, we have great guests coming in on, I don't know whoever else I'll get. I'll find out as I do it during the week. Yeah. But I want to thank everyone that participated. Uh, those that were listening over on Facebook, again, I'm having a problem with YouTube. I will get the video up onto YouTube later on, Curtis. And, uh, I guess that's all we got for today. All righty. Well, everyone take care. Have a good weekend. All right. And I will close out with our closing number, When the Roll is Called Up Yonder. And, again, I want to thank everyone that participated in the chat rooms on Facebook as well as here on Blog Talk Radio and for our caller that called in John earlier. So until then, I leave you with a closing song, When the Roll is Called Up Yonder. Until then, I say good night and God bless.